said, those aren't fireworks. And that sounds like trained shooting, that's not hood shooting. It's just this barrage of bullets. I'm feeling them go past my ear. And I look down, I realize that I'm hit. I'm like, I stopped peeing a minute ago. And I, my boot is full of liquid. And I'm like, I've been hit. But I was like, this doesn't even feel anywhere close to the pain of giving birth, so I'll be fine. Um, I'm like, I'm not dead, I'm not dead. I was like, let me see if I can get a quick peek and see where the, the suspect is. I'm like, I can still do something. I'm not dead. Looking through the windshield and I see there's three officers that are past, they're down. And it was very jarring to see police officers laying down. The windshield is getting shot up. So I duck down until it stops, and then I open the door, I come around the back, and I'm remembering Saldana's words to always stay moving. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, nobody's gonna come for us. Nobody's gonna come save us. Blaine Burgess, she showed up with some Chick-fil-A, you know, two days later. I said, can I bring you guys breakfast? She wanted to do my laundry, and I'm like, no, it's okay, and just stuff like that. She just showed up and did that, and that was such a kind thing to do. I also learned something really important. If somebody you know is going through crisis, don't say reach out if you need anything, because we don't. Nobody is going to want to. You wouldn't want to. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Trauma refers to a single event, multiple events, or a set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically and emotionally harmful or threatening, and it has lasting adverse effects on the individual's physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. We all have experienced trauma at some point to different degrees, and we cope, heal, adjust, and survive the absolute best way we can. Then there are some people that have a lifetime of trauma, unique types of trauma. Today's guest is from the Midwest, a well-traveled human being, but now she is a Texan. She's a wife. She's a mother. She's a rancher, salon owner. She can walk into a bar with her obnoxious Midwestern accent and order a brandy old-fashioned with two green olives. But most important, 
she's a genuine effing person. I'm Joe King. I'm here with a special guest co-host, homicide detective, Andrea Isom, and my buddy, Randy Aguilar. This story you're about to hear is a very unique, very sad, but also very inspiring story, as she is the true definition of a survivor. I'd like to welcome to the ATL stage the elegant, very eloquent, domestic warrior goddess, Gretchen Rocha. Gretchen, thank you for being here, uh, driving what hour and a half in to come sit with us. I sure did, yep. Yep. So we have Randy is always here. Um, Detective Andrea Isom from Homicide. She's already had her earlier episode. As of yet, still has not aired because we're that far behind. But Andrea, thanks for being here. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) She's going to, she has uh, what part of Gretchen's story she actually played a role in uh, from 2016. And and we're going to, she's going to jump in and talk about that as well. But. So, are you ready to dive into this? I am ready. I've, I'm beyond ready. And I'm really okay. excited to be here. So, And I'm really happy with the people in the room. Y'all are good people. So We'll separate. I feel safe to be. Ditto, ditto. I'll feel safe to be talking and honest yeah. and all that. So no, I, no, the people, you know, I, I try to get people involved in this that, for one, are good people that I like. I mean, if I don't like you, you're not going to be a part of it. No, but, fuck um, them, of course, yeah. You know, and, and I was trying to get you <laughs> to be a part of this, like, right when I ha- when I had the idea. And then we're going to get to, at the time I got with you, I think you were part pointing your career with DPD where you were kind of wrapping up. And we're yeah. going to get into that later on, but that's, you know, and it kind of just fell by the wayside. And then we kind of picked it back up recently, and here you are. Yep. It, and she actually sat in with a, a great major mark harris's episode it was good it was that was a very moving experience being part of it and i was like driving home and i'm like i'm so lucky to be part of this um the space here that y'all are doing because that that was that was cool to see you don't get to it's my understanding he's a major now or is he yeah he's a major okay so he's major now and and getting those candid conversations with people that we kind of have that separation from either from rank and file and i mean just always been a PO my entire career. It was really unique to see that and see that realness from him too. So really respected that and appreciated that. Mark is uh Mark is one of the rare people on our department that actually have, have, they've gone up the rank and they haven't changed. I mean Mark, he's a he's a he's a generally nice guy. You know, and and I don't think I don't know I mean, if he goes up the chief, I don't think that's gonna change either with him. Mm. Um, you know, I've never I never went past PO either. I think I'm I'm sitting at forty three right now. Hell yeah, that's my, what's up. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I'm old. Don't promote. I'm not, pro- I'm not promoting now. He's going to get the number one spot. Are you he kidding? Should. No. <laughs> right. All right, let's get into this. I want to start off, tell, tell the listener where you grew up. So I grew up um, in a low podunk town of Wisconsin. It's called Beaverdam. Very classy name. We had uh, our, our mascot was in the town was the, the beavers, the golden beavers, not cringy at all. <laughs> no. We closed all the schools when we got a super Walmart, and we went to that as a field trip. So we had some. It, it there wasn't a lot going on in Beaverdam. It was a very simple town in the sense of you know it's, it's people live there all their life and don't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, Midwestern agricultural and, and and just kind of circulating around that. 
um, hunting season and, and going to mass. That was everybody's Catholic and Lutheran up there. So, were you? Um, was that near Wausau or Schofield? And or where it, was that relation? Oh, you know, about an hour away from Wausau. Um, it's I think if my geography serves me well here, I, I don't know of the other place, unfortunately. Okay, Schofield um, and Wausau like are on top of each other. It's almost like growing mesquite. You okay, know? gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So Beaver Dam, I guess I would put it like forty-five minutes north of Madison. So south southeastern Wisconsin is where I grew up at. Okay, I know. I know at Midwestern life, uh, Tina Schultz. She's from up there too. Uh, and, you know, very, there's a lot very, of us down here. Very there's wholesome. a lot of us. Wisconsin. I'm a Midwestern too. Yes, I'm from Missouri. You're from Missouri. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. taking over. Yes. Well, that says something about Texas. People get escaping to Texas. So, yeah. There you go. We we were we were and 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 in my instance, the weather drove me down here for sure. And then just the more, oh, yes. it's just that more effect. Uh, economical cost of living would be a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, it's kind of expensive up there. No, I noticed the gas prices. Uh, it's been it's been a few years now since I've been to Wisconsin, but yeah, the uh, the gas is like way more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yep, we have the taxes are much higher too. Um, I mean, you have the state tax and the city tax type of thing. So down here, you know, we don't we just pay the federal. So you yeah. get that pay bump as soon as you come down here. You feel like, and then houses are cheaper down here too. Mm. So not a lot of a lot of incentive to move down here. Can you describe home life? Sure. So, fun fact, I grew up in a cult. Um, it okay. was the Independent Fundamental Baptist um, Church. Not every Independent Fundamental Baptist Church is maybe like this, per se. Um, I think they are a little more radical in their beliefs. They're very separate. I grew up wearing a skirt all the time. Um, couldn't cut my hair type of thing. I was homeschooled um, since I was three. I was learning to read when I was three, and of course, we learned the King James Bible type of reading. It was very authoritarian, very authoritarian, very much like very strict, very hardworking. You know, we it was a lot of also ignore your feelings, ignore your thoughts, don't question anything. And and then it was just very intense. It was always hellfire and brimstone. Basically, they took these four verses out of you know letters from Apostle Paul, and and they made their entire church based off of that while trying to be like a new testament church um so what that would look like would be um women should learn in silence with all, with all subjection and that was like the pinnacle of everything so like they would not clap for women after they seen a special because they didn't think that was god honoring to do they thought that was disrespectful for us to be rendering this respect to women they didn't believe in women teaching unless they're teaching children they didn't believe in women asking questions or even being part of business meetings and stuff like that Um, or working outside the home. So kind of just, you know, that was surrounded by that um, as far as outside the home. Inside the home, I've really, I say this, you know, carefully because my parents are good people. They got caught up in it too. And something I've had to come to terms with is they were victims too. And unfortunately, they they did not break the cycle early enough, so they continued to victimize us too. and, And that's just a fact. We've done a lot of work in our relationship, my parents and I, and I love them dearly, and I'm, I'm thankful for them too because they gave me skills to survive in that type of environment and be able to leave whether they know it or not. And what that looked like is my dad wanted us to be safe and strong. There was a tragedy that happened with his sister, and she was victimized, and my dad wanted us to go to karate lessons and to learn how to shoot. We also, you know, had a farm. So we worked very, very, very hard. And we raised animals and 
did chores, which any farm person knows that chores is a very loaded word. <laughs> that, that could be anywhere from an hour to four hours mm. of work. So that that's so maybe education was not the priority, unfortunately. And I see that a lot with my grammar as I grow up, and I, and I see that in helping my kids with their homework. Um, because our education, the main focal point was us preparing for the end of the world. They were uh, my, Unfortunately, the, the sect I grew up in was obsessed with the end of the world, the new world order, um, the government martyring us. So kind of in a weird way, I've seen... Um, it's not the same. It's apples to oranges. But suicide bomber parents, they're so proud of their kid being a suicide bomber, right? When we see that footage from Iraq or Afghanistan. And I kind of feel like there's that bleed over with, with independent fundamental Baptist churches, with cults, with any religious sect that dying for your faith was just that, that ultimate thing. So what the prepping for that looked like was we were told at a young age to never answer the door for a police officer. Um, always get your mom or dad or ask for a warrant. Never open the door for really any government official. The government was just bad, which is gay, not totally off point in some instances, (laughs) but yeah, um, regardless of such, like I was four when we're having this discussion, like that mommy and daddy might be beheaded or whatever. Then um, prepping, you know, with food storage. And then also they were telling us at a very young age, they're like, listen, someday um, in a very near future, the rapture might happen, but it might not happen because we just don't know. And if that doesn't happen, and if you take the 666, the mark of the beast, you're going to you're gonna go to hell. So you can't go to hell. You need to, you need to then either run away and be safe or prepare to be beheaded. So at the age of six, um, it was during a Sunday school class. They, were, they lined us up in this church basement, um, and there's this like big old kitchen with this deep sink it's like the butcher sinks you know and then we all practice like putting our neck there for like the guillotine and we were talking about that if you're facing down it's going to cut your spinal cord first so it might not hurt that bad Um, but if you're laying down you're going to feel it and watch it go down so that's stuff I was that's kind of the extremist stuff I was born into and was raised in some of that what it would look like then as an adult is I mean for one constant anxiety so yay um and then not really learning to listen to your intuition because, you know, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all, like above all things. Who can know it? So us listening to our intuition was something that I didn't get to really develop at a young age. Do you think that the isolation the, uh, from homeschooling, that does that still affect you today? I'm definitely a weirdo. And when I say I was homeschooled, people go, oh, <laughs> and like that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so that sucks. And yes, unfortunately, you know, and I mean, I, and I say this because I, I, I say this carefully because I have friends who do homeschool their kids or I have clients, you know, at the beauty shop and they're wonderfully adjusted. They have a great program. Some of my friends, too. And, and I even know some secular people who it's not even religious based. They're atheist and they homeschool. Mm-hmm. So in my case, in my, in my unique situation, homeschooling was dog shit. Um, it made it basically groomed me to be, a, you know, a it, it groomed me for a lot of abuse. It prepared me for to be a second-class citizen. How so? Well, for one, being taught not to have any career aspirations or goals. God's will for my life. Okay, so like the, I, the illustration that always gave us was this umbrella, right? And there was this big umbrella. The big umbrella was God's will for your life. Everything else was raining. So in order to be in God's will for your life and not be rained on and to be safe, you had to be 
kind of what they would tell us would be not so much words, but be perfect, right? Don't have feelings. Don't be angry. Be sweet. Women were always told, be sweet, be sweet, always be smiling. And below there'd be these other umbrellas. There's that umbrella of God's will. And then there was the man, the head of the household. And then there was the women underneath the men. And then there was the children. And anytime you stepped outside of that umbrella, you're closer to being, you know, struck down. Get the mark of the beast. The mark of the yeah. beast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or like, so they give us these sermon illustrations too all the time. <laughs> One, ex- just the, I can't believe I believe this. Like, I feel so dumb believing these things as a kid. But then I'm like, it's kind of fucked up. I was a kid. I just didn't know. Well, kids only, yeah, they're so. I, it wasn't my responsibility in all yeah. these things. I was well, just, you trust that the people in your life are telling you what's right. I mean, you, how else would you know? So. How else would you know? Right. And then, and, and then I look at my seven-year-old and I'm like, I don't want her to worry about these things. I want to make sure she has a safe world to just be a child in. Mm-hmm. So a sermon illustration was kind of something that many of us would dread to be in that spotlight. Mm-hmm. It would be like, the pastor saying, I knew this one girl. She was on fire for the Lord. She was soul winning. She was in the bus ministry, which would be picking up other children to be brought to the church. Um, again, red flag. Um, in this particular incident, in this particular church, um, I do think that we do need kids programs in general, but this was kind of one part of the abuse with the church. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this this wonderful lady who was on fire for the Lord started listening to rock music, okay? And then... Um, she wanted to get a job so she could make more money for the house because she had all these materialistic desires. And then she started stripping. She started dancing. So, like, I don't know how this just, you know, one day she's in the ministry and just says, I need money. And this they're goes like, the far. Go. it wasn't even like go to Walmart. It was like, go be a dancer. And but like, we're listening to this. And, and she then they divorced her and her husband. And now she's like just heartbroken. Um, and I mean, like, honestly, if she divorced a Baptist man, that's good for her. Like, let's throw her a party. She's probably finally having her first orgasm. Who knows? <laughs> God bless her. She didn't um, even know. Yeah, she didn't even know. She's right. like, this is what happens? Like, okay. <laughs> so that's a, ser- that's a literal sermon illustration I grew up hearing about how this woman wanted money and became a stripper and left, left Jesus, right? How many kids were with you in, the, in your group? You said you, you, you kind of described, like, you went to the class, the beheading right yeah to see how many kids were i mean probably school, like eight to ten no. in the sunday school i mean it, it obviously we had the wonderful social skills of this church we weren't bringing in a lot of members you still in contact with any of those people yeah actually i have some kind of peripherally in my circle like facebook friends um have lots they, of them left have they escaped like you so a lot of them have, okay, good. which is probably why I keep in contact with them. I try to delete and block anybody who I think might be, you know, not good, you know, for safety and peace and being around my kid. You know, recently on uh, Netflix, they have the sweet, pray, obey. Right. The, 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 keep the, sweet and pray. Yeah, yep. they're, th- th- what you're describing is pretty much what I watched on that. And I'll just, you know, they're. Yeah. fundamentalist uh, i never watched it because i was like yeah. i'm not ready for that yeah, yeah yeah it's a different thing but it's very whatever everything you're describing is what they sh- that they talked about in that documentary which was i found it's very a system eye-opening mm-hmm. and crazy i think it's just the you know un- unfortunate that you had to anybody has to deal with that it's unbelievable yeah was it, was marriage and children something that was f- like expected at a younger age than normal i yes. mean like teenagers getting married kind of a thing were you like 
looking into like your potential future husband while you're in high school age or yes um kind of like around 14 or 15 we'd be going to these conferences and Mm -hmm. going to these classes and sunday schools and they're like you're not dating to date you're dating to marry Mm -hmm. red flag number nine thousand, but whatever (laughs) um like with that so then it was also they didn't want you to get caught up in a career i remember something they're telling us is don't get caught up in a career and don't start living on your own because then you won't want to listen to a man Mm. and i remember crying in walmart and i'm 13 years old and i'm and i'm having this conversation with a really good friend of mine and i was like i really want to join the military i really want to do something i want to get the fuck out it be damn um and i kind of felt like the military would be the quickest way Mm. And then I also was thinking in my head, too, I'm like, I, I just don't think I want to be a mom. I don't think I want to be a wife. I don't think these are things I'm even going to be good at. Um, I never saw myself as a nurturing person. Plot twist, I am. I'm a fucking amazing mother and wife. Like, I am a domestic goddess, a sex icon. I'm all these things. Like, they just don't even know. You didn't know. They're going to know now after hearing this. They're going to know, yeah. yeah. And so, and I love being a mom. But my vision of being a mom is not what I'm currently getting to experience. Mm. It was wearing, it was not really being able to tap into being beautiful. Mm. And I mean, the women that I know and all the, you know, all the women, they don't, I'm not trying to say they're ugly, but the thing is, is like the style, the, the way they're encouraged to dress to be godly was not flattering, unfortunately. I just saw that as not being very appealing to me. Well, I think it's one of those things that you can be one or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's something I feel like even on the department, like it's, I mean, I don't know if you experience this, but it's kind of like if you're too much, like too much makeup, too much whatever, no one takes you seriously, right? And so like, what do you want? Do you want to be taken seriously as an officer? Or do you want to be like pretty and all the things? And same thing probably with that is like, you know, can you be a mom and all those things, but all the extra people, it's distracting and people think you can't be both. Yes. And I think that's just completely false because you can be smart and be the quote unquote dumb blonde. You know, Mm -hmm. I've heard the blonde jokes my whole life. So it is what it is. But it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can be anything you want. Describe those jokes. Well, I was, you know, my nickname in the academy was Baywatch, right? (laughs) No. You You asked the guy here. He's the one who gave me that nickname. Mostly because I run ridiculous and I'm very tall, but yeah. They called you Baywatch. I'm done. That's, oh yeah, it's on my locker now. It's a Detective Baywatch. Is that like a it. double entendre of in like you're a Bay and then Baywatch? I don't think Bay was a thing back then. This was 15 years ago. Yeah. but oh, I mean, okay. you know, yeah. It's it just still it's just cool, more though. of the blonde thing. Yeah, you know, obviously being multidimensional, even in men or women, mm. never allowed in that place. I right. mean, you had to be. First of all, you had a calling. You know, we, mm. we they wanted you were gonna have like this come to Jesus moment or not. You were gonna have like your. Paul by the wayside moment is what they call it when God calls you to do your 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 will for his will for your life and it was never like a multi-dimensional thing it was like you're gonna be a pastor and then the the career options for men it was like pastor missionary that's kind of about it mm-hmm. and then for women it was Sunday school teacher education or just an MRS degree is what they were from yeah. some unaccredited college in in this sector in this sect I should say but yeah that, that was Women were definitely brought up to feel like second class citizens and to be and to be subservient and to put themselves as second class citizens. So um, if anyone did speak up or question or, you know, ask, why are we practicing being beheading is like what would happen? Is that something that it was just like a physical, terrifying way to stop you from asking questions or 
There is a the system that exists with these types of cults. It all kinds it it all seems the same. They don't obviously introduce it with mm. beheading mm-hmm. six year olds in a church basement. Kind of gradual. Yeah, there's yeah. kind of this gradual grooming mm-hmm. of like, first of all, believe without question, um, and then they give you some sort of example out of context, usually bonus points for that from the Bible about as to why you're not going to ask those questions. And there's that group shaming. There is ostracization. There is there there would be instances where like the pastor would call out that person and then we would all just make them feel like a complete idiot you know in, in sense of like we're all judging them vi- visibly but then the pastor's just reading like reading them the right act and they're listening to it they know it's about him or her or he'd have that person come up after we've broken them down enough and they would explain what they did wrong mm-hmm. and one instance was this girl cut her hair and because she wanted it short and like the thing she was describing, she's like, well, pastor knows how long it takes for me to get from um, Walmart where she worked to the house because also he, she lived with him. None of this was a red flag to us. Like we were all sitting here like, oh, wow. And then she's like, and then I cut my hair and he didn't say anything. And I'm just here to say, I'm so sorry if I was a stumbling block to anybody. And word for word, that's what it essentially was. Wow. Um, so just a lot of group shaming. There was already kind of that hierarchy in place right Mm. that you don't ask questions and then also it was very violent um there was this big broomstick his name was henry and i got beat with henry a lot Mm. so to the point of like bruises abrasions and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um slapped across the face in church all of it and i'm like not here to say like oh you know people who spank their kids they're garbage people i i don't but i mean the stuff was extreme Mm -hmm. and it was for things of like not reading your Bible first thing in the morning. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. So that, that that doesn't sum it up. There's so much more. But I think that's relevant yeah. and kind of like giving you a good kind of idea what it is. A lot of the and then you already see the red flags of the pastor being very pedophilia related. Mm-hmm. And then also us bringing those kids in from places where maybe, you know, it, the parents weren't going to church, you know, so this was maybe a break from the kids or just mm-hmm. this is a thing that the parents wanted to get into. And then particularly they would look for ki- like kids from areas where lower income and, and I just, I think that's another red flag. Well, it seems so interesting because everything you're describing is like this almost like behavior modification. You see it all the time when you have like prostitutes or women who get into like sex trafficking, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's their start out one way gifts and build you up and all the things and then you fall into line or else. And it seems like maybe not exactly the same, but in terms of like, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a sex detective, sex assault detective, but it just seems kind of like that with the behavior stuff, right? Like, it doesn't all come at once. Like you don't just beat someone down in the beginning. You earn their trust and you earn their respect, and and then you kind of slowly by slowly chip away at confidence, chip away at your self identity, you know, and and make them feel like this is all they have. Yeah, and in my instance though, I was never built up. Like I was just uh-huh. born into it of like well, being yeah, female. being a child though. Like you yeah. didn't really have it. Or you have never knew anything different. So it's kind of different. Yeah, it's it is yeah yeah, and you know that's kind of maybe I didn't get to know it and then when I did know it it was good but I didn't ever have to grieve losing that part Mm -hmm. of just at one point in time having freedom per se that's really yeah kind of kind of deep thought yeah Yeah. I don't know that's why that's (laughs) why why Andrea's here this is why Andrea's here (laughs) with the way you were brought up so your kids you homeschooling or regular school oh regular school 
Um, you are you raised in Christian Christian church. How religion? You, how? What are you doing with your kids on how you're going about that? So, um, definitely don't consider myself Christian. Okay. At all. Um, I do believe in God, though. Okay. I also believe in Jesus. Okay. I, I believe I'm saved. Okay. And and I believe that Jesus did come. You know, and, and I believe that He did die on the cross. Okay. And I believe that you know. At the same time, too, I'm, I'm into everything. I really like a lot of other religions. During me escaping and leaving, um, so there was a Muslim family who helped me out. I'm also friends with people who are Christian and who are, like, more separatist in their beliefs. And then also I, have, I book an astrology reading once a month to oh. kind of get ideas about my businesses. They're super helpful for running a business because when, like, I guess Venus is in conjunction with something, that's when you should run ads. <laughs> so I know like I'm and then I book like animal communicators. I did a past life reading. Um I like spirituality too. Um one side hustle I have with my farm is I sell bones to people who practice brujeria or they practice witchcraft because mm. I just don't want anything to go to waste from my animals yeah. that I love so dearly mm. that when I do butcher them I want everything to go to used for art or for something like source where they can feel more in tune with the world and with this with themselves or with the earth how did you at what point did you start realizing that you wanted to escape this and this wasn't right this wasn't for you how did you for one get the strength to do it and then also start planning that escape i feel like i was born hating it so a lot of that kind of my parents did help groom and plant seeds i don't like the word grooming i keep saying it but they planted some seeds of being competent and I think like one of those things that exists in that system is women not getting education to be able to leave or to be able to support themselves or to be able to leave abusive situations. Yeah, it traps you. It entraps you. Um, my dad really did want us to be educated, though. And despite the homeschooling, they my mom always had literature books laying around. My mom always had art books laying around. And that was a big part of being able to understand how to leave because I was reading about Voltaire. Voltaire wrote literature and he would write things kind of making fun of himself and also very aware that the fact that he was making fun of himself mm. so what that broke that down to me was what if i shouldn't believe everything in the bible literally what if i should start understanding the bible as how it was written by the author and what the intention was by the author the interpretation can the inter be. yeah and then also so that was kind of like one of those seeds of change that were growing in me that i was everything i know might not be true and and that's been a great discovery of also kind of like forgiving other religions because I don't hate all the religions. I'm not an, you know, I, and I don't think that people who have faith are, are uh, anything less than anything or anything like that. I'm I guess I'm trying to say. So understanding that my interpretation of the Bible and what I was told is not what it is for everybody else and nor should it have ever been. It was utilized as a tool. So, um even some things as simple as like Revelation. Um, I read in the Schofield Bible that this was written by Paul when he was on the island of Patmos. I'm sorry, John. When he was on the island of Patmos, he was writing that to the Roman, the Christians in the Roman time. Nero spelled out numerically as 666. It's on, it was on the coins. And he also wrote in apocalyptic form so he could actually send it out of jail because he had to code it. And so maybe maybe just hear me out here it's not meant to be this end of the world guidebook 
it was warning Christians of what's going to go on and what's going to happen during that time of Nero being in charge and all the different types of erasure he was doing to other religions, not just Christians. Um, we know the atrocities. We can read about it anywhere that Romans were doing at the time. Um, it did say, you know, on the coins at that time, Nero was God and you could not buy or sell without those. So it kind of made me forgive other or not forgive, but give a lot of grace that I was like, okay, I was told some creepy thing. Everybody else has told it for something else. And it's more history. It's more of like understanding how to be a good person for them. So long tangent on that. But and how old were you when you left? I was 18. 18. Or, well, 17. I was leaving and then turned 18. What kind of recourse did you get from f- friends, family, the church? Was the hardest thing I ever to do. I thought I, I, I had so part of my brain was like, none of this is true. But the other part of my brain was like, I'm going to get in a car accident. My therapist told me later it was called magical thinking where it's like, if I do this, this is going to happen. There's a, a consequence. Was gonna, yeah. Yes. Um, I was super ostracized. I worked at a restaurant at the time too. So I was being stalked. They would always have somebody parked outside the restaurant watching me, following me. I'd see them at Walmart. I'd, they'd be taking pictures of me. Were they threatening you? Um, probably. I can't even really remember. If they did, because the other part to me was so scary. I wasn't really afraid of them hurting me. It was mm-hmm. just the part of like them always being omnipresent. Um, mm-hmm. They're and then always watching. They're talking to my um, my bosses at the time. And I mean, this was the only thing I had was my job that I could like escape. And they're telling him, we, you should fire me because I'm not listening to my dad and things like that. And my parents at this time were pretty shitty too, unfortunately, about this. Um, they would ambush me with people being all of a sudden at the house to have this intervention with me. And I would just be coming home there. They were telling me, you know, I am just a failure to them. And how disappointed they were in me. Um, Like it was hard to be in this house and not feel like your family or much less at times loved. Mm -hmm. And my sisters and I were always fighting at this time, even except my older sister had already left and she had been ostracized. I already knew it was going to happen to me. She was cut off and everything. We didn't want to talk to her sometimes. We were always praying for her for being this lost prodigal child and working on her testimony. And I knew that was going to happen to me, right? I'm like, I saw the writing on the wall. I saw what they did. And I saw the ambushes. I saw the stalking. I saw the the threatening. And then the, every sermon was about Annie. Every sermon was about her. Going to be lion fodder the lions were going to eat her and basically shit her out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but I'd never saw that happen to Annie. So I took, cause I mean, I knew that like, other than all the ostracization, the the loss of friends, the loss of your family, I knew that part was going to happen, but I knew I wasn't going to die. Mm-hmm. I just deep down knew that I had to just keep going. And there's other people who had left and maybe weren't successful, but I knew I could kind of look at Annie as like, Annie was a successful woman. She owned her own house. She had a master's degree. She, um, was a professional, just beautiful lady. Mm-hmm. And she looked happy with her life. So if she could do it, I knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. So so she, you looked at her as like a kind of a symbol, I guess, to, a, as a, a light at the end of the tunnel if you were to She was my North Star. Okay. She was my North Star. I was like, and, and I really looked to her in a lot of ways as a mom too. Mm-hmm. She's um 16 years older than me. Oh, wow. So. Have you seen that uh, documentary, uh, Going Clear, on uh, HBO? It's about the Scientology. And it's really good. It talks about the whole history of Scientology and 
I guess it's written in their bylaws um, that uh, what you're describing as far as anybody tries to leave uh, the harassment, the stalking, the, you know, just trashing their name. It's a really good doc. It really, as you're sitting there talking about that, I just, I'm remembering that documentary. The same thing. I never watched it. I, I mean, truthfully, it, I don't want to look at it stuff probably like would, that. Yeah. So. It probably yeah, would. You lived it. Yeah. I, I, but I mean, I, I know that they all exist in the same kind of way to do things. That This is their... They do it because it works, right. you know? They well, do they it because it works. They, and they don't know any better. Some of them don't even know any better. They're growing up. They grow up in a in a household and their parents are the people they trust most, their siblings, you know, and their, their, their peers around them. You just don't know any better. Well, and then I think the other factor of it is, too, it's like, okay, we have the key in how to not go to hell. We have to tell everybody. They're, mm-hmm. We are responsible for their souls. So that's why, like, they're not mali- – so I will give, okay, a lot of them, especially like that pastor, may he rot in hell forever and die a very slow, painful death. Fuck him. But people like my parents, I would argue that they were doing all those things because they were so scared of me going to hell. Mm-hmm. They were like, this is eternal separation from God in a lake of fire and from us, and we love our baby. I know that's why they did those things. I know they did not hate me, mm-hmm. and they just thought they were doing the right thing. And y'all reconciled? Yeah, we done. Um, I had to do a lot of therapy. Um, and I remember one point in time... So after July 7th happened and all these, and then also my other incidents happening where I'm making national news or I'm getting a, an award or something, I realized something. My parents would, my parents would go and do a news interview or they would be like very proud of me and talking about me to people. And I remember feeling some type of way about it because part of me was like, I always wanted to get along good with them and I wanted them to be proud of me and accept me because a lot of my childhood was riddled with being beaten because I was not submissive and because I was rebellious or just a cantankerous woman you know like Mm -hmm. I can hear all the verses that they're and and so me being just kind of more of an intense individual was never really accepted and I thought I would find some sort of fulfillment in them being proud of me and I realized I didn't and I know that they this was not them being fake this was not them like oh this is a great testimony like this wasn't this was genuinely them like a reporter, and honestly, too, they probably didn't seek it out knowing my parents. They're actually really humble, mm-hmm. like, farm Wisconsin people. So at that same level, if somebody came up and was like, hey, Craig, wh- why don't you tell us about your daughter? You'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, let me tell you about Gretchen. You know, and that's what he's going to do. Um, so none of that was out of malice. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the fulfillment from that. And I kind of use that as a guidepost for other people. Like, if you're having a difficult time with your parents, don't feel like you have to be successful to feel some type of way of forgiveness with them. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of my reconciliation, a lot of like regrowing a new pathway of love with them, I guess, mm-hmm. and respect came when I had kids because I saw like, this was round two for both of us. They got to be kind of a parental figure once again and maybe feel like they could do it how they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Like in a different way. In a different way. And yeah. I and I know that they love my kids just in the best way possible. And I love seeing them love my kids. Mm-hmm. And then I got to see them kind of in their fun way. My mom's 64. And she's like, come on, guys, let's go jump on the bed. That's my mom. Or Mm -hmm. she's in the playland with them. She's taking them for a ride. She's like getting on their level. My dad, um, he buys them toys. So I get to kind of see their round two. And I'm like, there's some good ass people right there. Mm -hmm. Those are some fucking good people right there. And I I fucking love them. You Um, survived the Nate 
survive than change. Everybody can change and and, and evolve. Yes, I think know? they can. And on some degree, my mom, I think, still subscribes to a lot of their ideology. And in some ways, my dad does too. But their escaping has definitely changed their their level of involvement. I think, too, they, they would just want to live in a really good Christian way, maybe. And I think that they're okay with accepting me as not being that. And that's just a big step. Although my mom still listens to alternative new stuff. She believes the chemtrails. Um, mm-hmm. Did did they the internet. escape as well, or are they still with that church? No, now? no they left. Okay. Um, they left when I came out about being assaulted. Um, okay. Years later, mm-hmm. I, I the thing is too is I think if I would have told them earlier, I think they would have left. But I just was already the system that was set up there. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to speak out against the man of God. Mm-mm. Like um, when Elijah was made fun of by those kids for being, when they told him, go up thou bald head, these bears came out and ate those kids Mm -hmm. because you don't mock the man of God. So I was like, I can't even tell them. And well, they're going to say it's my fault Mm. because you were wearing that skirt or I'm like, I was wearing a motherfucking skirt. I looked like an Amish kid pretty much. And dorky as hell i'm wearing a skirt you told me to wear a skirt literally (laughs) how is that my fault it's interesting you you talk about your this assault sexual assault Mm -hmm. that most women don't come forward because of the shame from society there was a different reason you're like terrified because of i thought i was gonna be struck down by lighting yeah then i feel like such a cave i don't like a there's a word i'm trying to say like a I felt like such a cave woman, you know, for thinking this. Like, we're just like, oh, my God, you don't know how to make fire? Like, this is how you make fire. And that's how I feel like I thought I was going to be struck down by lightning. Or I was going to be cursed for speaking out against the man of God. Um, so I didn't even come forward. I didn't go to the authorities or anything. I told my parents years later, and then and then they left. And I told them because by that time being gone, this one, I'm like, I, I think that they would believe me. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And and I know that I, if I would have told them earlier, and they asked me, why didn't you tell me earlier? You didn't think they were ready to hear it? No, I like I'm telling you, I didn't mm. tell them earlier because I thought I was going to die if okay. I did. Yeah. Um, How long later uh, after you left did you tell them? A year later. Oh, wow. Well, that mm-hmm. quick. Okay. So I never even met, and that wasn't even the reason that I did leave when I was wanting to leave. It was... Um, I wanted to be with my now husband and they, he's bisexual and mm. they were like, Oh no, he's a sinful man. Mm-mm. He likes dick too. And I'm like, bitch, so do I. So, <laughs> um, they were pretty, so they were really against that. Also, they wanted me to marry. I found out later they wanted me to marry like this pastor's son who was like 24 years older than me and some mm. weird shit. Um, so they didn't, they just said, so me wanting to be with Tomas was just the, no, absolutely not. And, Try telling an eighteen-year-old not to be with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Right. They're gonna kinda, get pissed off. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that Romeo and Juliet age. You oh, can't you man. can't speak any sense into anybody. <laughs> and you literally couldn't tell me not, not a lot at eighteen. That unless it was like r- surrounding around Jesus or whatever. But nope. So then I just up and left. Gretchen, your your story has so many level levels and layers. It's like it's a big onion. Okay, and you're peeling back. Kind of smells these. too sometimes. Yeah. No, you smell pretty good. You, <laughs> no, you no, no, no. Story you, though. Yeah, this, the, no, like, the story. I smell fantastic. Hell no, yeah. The I'm story, some money in this, and but. we're not even we're not even delving into certain parts. Okay, yeah. you know, and um, out of respect, and just it just also 
you know, pulling a scab off is mm-hmm. one thing, but then digging underneath what's under the scab is a, is a different story. And um, you're you're a survivor, mm-hmm. clearly, and you're continuing to recover, right? Yes, it's gonna be. I'm not. I don't know if I'm gonna be. I'm a whole person. Okay, I've done a lot of work on myself. Mm-hmm. I am. Uh, I'm aware of my boundaries now, and I'm aware of my gifts, and I'm aware of like. I'm aware that I'm a really dope person too. Like I have a soul that is just fucking golden. And I know that nobody can take that away from me. And I know that that was always there in me too. Um, and then I know that I'm not perfect though. And then I'm going to have to keep still healing. But I know I'm a whole person. Mm. And I know there's things that they're never ever going to fucking take away from me. And that I'm going to make sure I'm going to protect for all my life. And I'm never going to change those things. Those golden things about me. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to work on my... And some of my more human things, right? That's it. Good for you. That's yeah, awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks, it's man. amazing. I want to get into totally shifting gears. Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's shift. How did you, when did you decide you wanted to get in law enforcement? Oh my, so funny story. Um, I'm 19. I have no idea what to do with my life. I'm chilling in this trailer in North Park Trailer, North Park, no, North Hills Trailer Park, Beaverdam, Wisconsin. Shout out to that trailer. It's where I lost my virginity. <laughs> Not being married. <laughs> Um, so yeah, shout out to that trailer. Um, the slightly dilapidated one. Love it with all my heart. They tore it down. Um, we're watching Bridesmaids. Awesome. Funny movie. movie. Funny movie. So good. So good. Yeah. Um, watching it and I see the, one of the main characters, he's a, he's a Wisconsin State Patrol Mm -hmm. and he's this dork. Yeah. Every cop movie I saw, it was this alpha-esque bro with like, you know, no, no outside life. Mm-hmm. No, per- not in. I mean, obviously they had personality. Like they, they're funny either. Like s- silly, funny Saturday Night Live, you know, riffing bits type of thing, or they were very intense people who just did not have any other type of life outside of work. Um, and I saw somebody for the first time as he was, you know, as a cop, as a human. I saw him baking that cake. Right, he bakes that mm-hmm. carrot cake carrot and cake. gives it to the protagonist. Um, then I saw him like showing her how to do the speed radar thing. I was like, sitting there, I'm like, I could do that. If he's this total dork and he can do that, I can do that. Mm-hmm. So the next day, I go to Beaverdam Police Department. I put on like, still kind of like in my upbringing, so I put on like a nice skirt. I go over there and, I, and I'm like, hi, I'm Gretchen. Um, I want to become a police officer. What do I do? How do you get started? And the guy just kind of was shooting me down the whole time. He did not think I was going to be a good officer. I'm like, well, I'm bilingual. Does that help? And because I'd been around Tomas's family for long enough, I was picking it up, worked in restaurants, um, speaking really good. And he's like, well, we can call on you to be a translator. And so I just kind of felt shot down and that pissed me off enough to keep looking at it because I was like, fuck that guy. I'm going to be a good fucking cop and I'm going to make sure he knows my name. Mm. Um, and honestly, don't fuck him. He's a very nice person. Um, one of anyways that was meant to happen because that helped me um so i started calling like some of the larger cities that i saw female officers there in wisconsin and they're like okay so you have to have some college credits and my school wasn't accredited Mm. i also didn't have like an actual graduation i never i wasn't and then they stopped teaching me they i didn't do any more school when i was leaving at 17 Mm. so i'm not like this dropout per se um but then my mom had to felt like she had to do like a graduation ceremony party just to kind of keep up appearances and not because she's a shitty person but because she's very afraid of the 
the, re- the, the recourse. Mm. So I had some fake little diploma thing. And I, as I go to this technical college in Beaver Dam, and I'm like, how do I go to school? How do I, I don't have any education formally at all. I don't think, I never did an SAT. Um, what do I do? She's like, well, let's see what we can start testing you out of and get you into college courses as that dual credit thing. She's like, because people don't care about your high school if you have college. And I just thank God for her every day. I don't know her name. I don't remember it. I started testing out of things by some absolute sheer luck. I was able just to get in to test at a good level. Because mm-hmm. um, she's like, this is not an accredited school. It was like some Cornerstone Satellite Academy thing. And she's, she's like, oh, okay. So I enrolled in college and I loved it. I was at Madison Area Technical College. It was this community college in Madison and there's these women teachers and I'm like, oh my God, you get to learn about stuff that's fun. Um, I had, and then math was making sense to me and it was just that part of being able to be educated and being empowered and then learning about things that were fun and just weren't about like always circulating back to, and this is why Christians are good and this is why, you know, Mm. I was, that was fascinating and very empowering and then I just, I, I went into the law enforcement program, the criminal justice program, and I enjoyed it. And I was like, I could do this. I think I could do this. Um, and then we had this one winter where we had two feet of snow. It You're was like, screw the North, screw the Midwest. I've had those was, winters too. Yeah. Oh my God. So it was two weeks of 40, it was two weeks of a wind chill of 40 below zero mm-hmm. and they did not close schools. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking across this parking lot and I'm like, I need to leave Wisconsin. And Tomas is originally from Mexico, but he grew up in the Grove. Mm. And so, well, he grew up in he grew up in the valley. He grew up in Third Ward, Houston. He grew up everywhere. But his favorite memories were in Dallas. Mm. So one day on Netflix, um, we're watching Police Women of Dallas, and I was like looking at them, and and they were pretty, and they were they were small, and they were all shapes and sizes, and they were all different backgrounds. And I was like, okay, if they can do it, I think I can do it too, right? And I, I just threw in an application. I emailed it all there. Um, Tomas really hyped up Dallas to take me to the Grove. Yeah. I was Googling pictures, uh-huh. you know, because like it was 2014. It's not like I could just go on TikTok and see what it's like. And there's like the, the ball and all this stuff. And then he takes me to the Grove. <laughs> and he's like, you're going to love Dallas. This is Dallas. And there's like this sh- like drive by on a Tuesday morning. And I'm like, what on earth? Um, and then went to Fayas Paredes. I thought that place was high fashion. Okay, because we only had Kohl's or Walmart Mm. and we went to Marshall's and Ross. And I'm like, y'all can't tell me shit when I'm wearing these clothes. Like, no, you didn't go to Bruton Bazaar, did you? Oh, all the time. Yeah, Yeah, no, of course. Like, that's only on special occasions. Like, uh, no, love Bruton Bazaar. Shout out to them for everything. Pulga and Siegelville. And then um, I was like, okay, I could could swing Dallas. I think Dallas will be okay. And then I also applied uh, for Pasadena outside of Houston. And we Mm. were trying to live in Houston for a little bit. Um, That wasn't the vibe. Did not care. I mean, Houston, hey, love y'all. I go there all the time. Got some family there we love. But I just, uh, yeah, that wasn't for me, man. A lot Mm. of mold. Dallas called me back first. Mm. And they gave me a chance. And I passed and I got hired in 2014. And then six weeks into the academy... I failed this test, the pregnancy test, mm. and that test. Yeah. Four weeks pregnant, six weeks in. Um, so I was in class three forty three. So I went to, I went to light duty, went to child abuse mm. there. Spent my life, which is a really good place to learn what not to do when you have kids. Um, like don't put anything in their 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 cribs. Mm. 
all, it was really all the things that could go wrong kind of thing yeah a lot of the deaths are just the they're how, what happens in the crib and how the babies are put in the crib yes and i will give and then those those people who work child abuse too they are saints they see some really really dark stuff for sure yeah and then also i feel like they they're part of their unit like people don't want to hear their war stories no no people no. want to hear about murders they don't want to hear about kid murders because that just makes kids. it just mm-hmm. yeah so it felt i think one part of like my life that i could put kind of to rest or make some part of okay with the the with being part of the child abuse that i endured is i saw the moving parts that happened there of good people who could not protect their kids at that moment either because of a system either because of their things going on made me kind of forgive certain parts of the things that were allowed and then i also saw um healing there i saw i heard the stories of how some of these kids were victimized but continue to do good Mm-hmm. Well, they have like such great forensic interviewers and counseling. Like they have so many programs over there with um, DCAC. Like it's it's incredible like, how much they they put into that. And so yeah, I'm sure like that. Was, it's kind of like fate that you got put in that unit for light duty because you could have been at the auto bound. Like, I, I could have been. You could have been, been, been legal. Yeah. <laughs> you could have been in the basement at communications where it's just like you know. You it know. was very affirming too just to see people being like no this is absolutely wrong this mm-hmm. should have never happened right. to these kids that i didn't even we didn't know these people mm-hmm. and yet they were so involved to be like i'm gonna work 48 hours on this case yeah. um because this kid deserves it that was super reaffirming for me as a survivor to be like that was not that should have never been allowed on any of those levels and then also i got to see these women because there's a lot of women detectives down there yes. like Dwayne or Blaine Burgess, mm-hmm. um, Brianna Valentine at the time when she was down there, May- Kimberly Mayfield, mm-hmm. um, Kristen Alvarado, you know, th- to name just a few, and i probably forgetting some people, but holy shit, those women mm-hmm. were super badass. All in, And then they were all their own different personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, Blaine's still there. Yeah. Yeah. She's the only one left that you just mentioned. She's still Kristen there. Kristen just re- promoted, right? Yep. Kristen yeah. promoted think, a sergeant. And then Kim's yep. over in homicide now. Mm-hmm. Kim's went over. Yeah. yeah. I saw her go up in, in homicide too. And she's fucking awesome too. Mm-hmm. She she was um, always bringing me snacks when I was pregnant. So I love her for that. <laughs> and then Blaine and I were pregnant together. So mm-hmm. that was good to have somebody else going through all of that. And then I had my baby four weeks later. I'm in the academy. Four um, weeks after you had your baby? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So what what academy class were you in? Three forty eight. Okay, and what what time? What year that? This start? is twenty fifteen. Okay, so 2015. August of twenty fifteen. Okay. Yep. We're building up to something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, we are. So you go. You're going to the academy, and you so I wasn't a super stellar recruit. Obviously, I had a lot of. I had some like. Well, you're a new mother too. I'm a new mother. I'm exhausted. Um, and then you know I'm also trying to just deal with the postpartum stuff, mm-hmm. and then. Um, Tomas started dealing with some things that he had kind of forgotten about his, in regards to his abuse as a kid. And he went through his first um, suicide attempt in January. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like just that moment where we finally had money. We could finally relax. We, could, we bought our first house. Mm-hmm. And things just were safe. And I think that's where a lot of those things came up. And 
so I, we, he started going to um, get help, mm-hmm. which was a really important part of my healing because he did all the running or all the walking for me so I could run mm-hmm. because then we learned a lot of how to get started with help, how to get right. help. He so went first. He like went he, first. He laid the groundwork for you. And then also he got to be in a different state of mind dealing with my stuff later. Yeah, He could be more supportive probably because he's already been through. Yeah. And yeah. you know, okay, so if you're married – Sometimes your spouse can say the worst thing at the very worst moment and, and and just literally light you off. But it was very awesome for me that he knew how to say just the right thing a lot. And I'm really, really thankful for that. So I was dealing with all that while I'm in the academy. And I'm not a stellar recruit, but I managed to um, graduate in the 90 percentile for the fitness. Mm. And I was really proud of that. That's amazing. Cause I couldn't do that. And I was not pregnant at all. So like, <laughs> seriously, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank that you, you did that four, four weeks postpartum. That's incredible. Yeah. You had a cool nickname, though. Uh, well, yeah, yeah but I wasn't fast or strong. <laughs> <laughs> I just skated by. I there was a lot of skating by though, and lots of things just from being exhausted and tired. Let me ask you this. So you, you had a different type of educational background Mm -hmm. study habits uh, things you're exposed to as a child and growing up as far as having to study and educate from an education standpoint and those academy tests are not easy do you what kind of what was your mind like when you when you first started learn how to learn what the academy was teaching because we have a lot of officers that come out and teach penal code or traffic law or or any other topic and those academy tests are really i've mentioned before on this podcast they weren't easy even for some of the i I saw some people that had you know a lot of college education they come in and struggle with some of the police classes because there's so much information crammed into one test every week every week yeah yeah well i will give credit to that for my mom she despite us not like making education the four point of you know focus Mm -hmm. in school um, my mom was always leaving books around and I feel, and she's always encouraging us to read Good. and taking mm-hmm. us to the library. And also she's very educated herself. You know, she wouldn't, she changed her major multiple times in college. So that made her have a very diverse educational background. Mm-hmm. Um, they fell into it in the eighties, you know, and just there, there wasn't a lot of education as far as these types of things back then. Mm-hmm. Those happened to other people. Um, so my mom, I think helped with that and giving some discipline and then also going to college and learning to love learning mm. and being excited about and just being a total nerd because i'm like hey i'm not getting beaten and we're just having a fun time like riffing and well, it kind of reignites what education means to you a thousand percent yeah it made me love learning and i still find school to be i still like to take an occasional class just once mm-hmm. every year mm-hmm. be it literature be it astronomy i don't know just whatever kind of sounds intriguing or is available or cheap or whatever and it is so cathartic to me to just type up a paper mm-hmm. in in this instance not for like work or like a, anything like that that's yeah. that's not fun but um to type up you know uh, an essay on the woman in the wallpaper i think it is mm-hmm. and digging deep it was fun well that's about education like not to sound cheesy but it really does open all the doors like that's the education is power thing but it really that is how you have options that's how yes. you have choices and in your background of growing up you were had so many doors closed to you which therefore traps you mm-hmm. and so having knowledge about all the things that exist in the world and all the possibilities it makes the world that much bigger to that person you and know? just even the exposure part yeah because maybe what's not being taught in the class you're sitting mm-hmm. next to syria was being um 
well, bombed. There's all that turmoil in Syria when I went to school, and my friend was Muslim mm. and had family in Syria, and I am listening to her go through what is real persecution there, and that was I'll never forget her. Mm-hmm. Or just sitting next to my friend from Colombia and hearing about their life, or just a friend who always grew up in the next town over, and them leaving. Mm. Your stu- the your fellow classmates can be very empowering and then also showing you there's other ways too there's ways to freedom we live in a very small corner of the world like we all we all think it's it's our whole world but Mm -hmm. really we're just a speck (laughs) in the huge you know what i mean yeah yeah and and it's easy just to get um just have your world be your world right Mm -hmm. and maybe egocentric i guess Mm -hmm. maybe is the right word i think that's human nature and we do that to survive because we have to have our focus on our kids or on pto or whatever pta Learning all this terminology, okay? Like, my daughter was telling me about homecoming and me being homeschooled. She's like, Mom, there's going to be cheerleaders and I have to have money and we have to have pom-poms. And I'm like, what is this event? What is this mysterious? And, and what do we have to prepare for? And a mom that's bigger than you. Oh, God. Yeah. And mom from the Midwest. Yeah. yeah, We don't have moms up north. No. I was just like, I've, I'm blown away by how big these are. They're ridiculous. How, like, intricate and expensive. And I was just like, yeah. So They're so, yeah. It's, it's wild. Yeah. It is. And so she's trying to tell me these things, and she's six and seven now. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How do I find out what's going on? <laughs> and hey, at least there's an internet now. You can actually there, watch a video on anything. There's, yep, yep, <laughs> a thousand percent. Or, you know, that we get the Facebook groups. So somebody else is asking the dumb question. And I get to be like, okay, I didn't have to answer, ask that. Yes. Just watch it. Mm-hmm. Yes, just watch it. So that, that I think that's, some, that's a long answer, but that's how I prepared, I think. And then just being incredibly disciplined from being like afraid of hell that right mm-hmm. lights a fire under your ass no pun intended once in a while <laughs> well when you so you graduate where'd you go uh madison area technical co- oh wait no, no, when you graduate no 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 you're good um maybe those weed co- candies are kicking in no um i went to southwest okay so i graduated july june 10th southwest i go to this oh, awesome june trainer. 10th oh man you were really june 10th what year 2016 okay 2016 so, you're on trainer. Who's your trainer? Uh, Ivan Saldana, who's mm-hmm. just a fucking awesome person. So. I was in the Foxtrots for a little bit. Okay. Saldana, yeah. He's, and, and you know, so part of the academy, right, where we had such good training in many instances. And then also, you know, you, when you're in RBT, you're waiting for the ninja to drop out of the yeah. ceiling, even yeah. though they, they say, hey, we're not going to teach that. Oh, there's always a plot twist. You're always waiting for that plot twist. So you're a little heightened, you know, with your awareness. But I get in the car with Saldana. And he's like, I know they told you I'm shorter than you or something like that. And I'm like, nobody said any such thing. And he's like, ah, ah, ah. And just right off the bat, just giving me shit. And um, and we just vibe right off the bat, you know. And then he's telling me, um, all I need from you, take us home. Make sure we get home safe. Don't crash the car. Um, and let's eat, okay? And I was like, okay. So right off, I'm having so much fun in training I think another thing, too, of just my eternal, there's a word of when you're always, like, happy, always optimistic. Mm-hmm. I'm an eternally optimistic person because I was told the world was this ugly place. And then, but I lived in an ugly place. Mm. And then I see Jesus, like, and I see, Christ, I see Christ-likeness in crackheads. And I see um, prostitutes sharing food. And I'm like, you can't tell me, like, human spirit ain't beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'm and I'm seeing you know the grandmas raising generations, and I'm like, to me, going to work and answering calls, I'm like, they're paying me to do this. I was ready an hour before work. I was so excited to go to work. I couldn't wait. Um, Saldana made it so much fun of just going call to call, mm-hmm. and then going to eat somewhere good, and then we would call to call again. <clears throat> yeah, and he also just made it feel like you could fix everything. So one night, um, it's kind of my second week in training, and it's right before July 4th. He's like, listen, rookie, um, if, if we're ever in some sort of ambush, I want you to remember these people who are trying to shoot people. He's like, they might have different training now. So what I learned in the military is to shoot through your target. He's like, so maybe, you know, cover and concealment. He's like, try and think of leapfrogging. Always stay moving because you're going to stay alive that way. He's like, don't just take cover and wait for the shooting to be done. He's like, because people aren't training that way. And he was showing me this video. He was always watching videos to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, showing me this video of something in, in the Middle East, some sort of conflict. I don't remember which one it was. Um, and how that they were coming to the target where people were hiding and shooting. And then they were just coming around and shooting the person. So we have this conversation completely out of the blue and then we go through july 4th and it was just an it was a night you know of just constant i mean it was a night in dallas on july 4th there was constant fireworks constant gunshots it was everything and Mm. it was busy and i started learning what gunshots would sound like very close Mm. so then july 7th rolls around um we get this text to come in because we're gonna go work um a protest and I have a little bit heightened sense of like concern, and so like I put my phone in a in a in a um, like a sandwich bag because I was like, if they throw urine at me, mm. I don't want to pay for a new phone. Um, so we go in early, and um, I remember sitting next to Kroll in detail, and just kind of his presence of just easygoingness and cool nothing really phasing him put me at ease a lot um so we're in the detail and we hear like hey the command staff does not want us wearing level four vests or helmets don't do anything that would be more intimidating um this is we're expecting a peaceful protest so they're like go eat so me and saldana we get in the car and and i'm nervous and and saldana is too and saldana already has a lot of his gear i don't at this time i was a broke rookie fresh out of the academy Mm -hmm. and i already had a kid um so you know we we go we post up and it at this point um it's going pretty chill too everybody's actually for my experience people were being pretty friendly they're like hey don't worry we love y'all we're just you know we're protesting uh, what's going on and uh, at the time i think it was philandro castile and you know and then also and I don't remember the name of the other person who passed, who was killed. It was, I think, in, I don't know. There's the there, two. There were two. There were two. Pro, yes. Yeah, it was a protest for two people. Um. So. Um, we post up, you know, and and then they're like, "Hey, this is actually going pretty easy. We might even get to get out early. Um, let's just make sure that everybody kind of gets back to their car safely." In regards to the protesters, we were trying to make sure that they were going to be safe going home. And that nobody's going to run them over. So we were blocking. We were leapfrogging intersections. Um, so Saldani and I, we pull up to Maine and Lamar. 
And he's like, I'm going to take this side of the street. You take this side. Have them come out of this area to go that way, okay? Um, and that way, being down the opposite side of the streets, so they're not going to drive into the protesters or be waiting to cross for them. Um, so I'm over there by myself, and, and I'm by a car. I don't remember if it was our car. And then I have my back to the intersections. I'm leaving one person out, and then I just hear crack, 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 crack. And it's probably, like, screaming it in their car when they hear this. Like, this uneducated homeschooler. Um, but you could feel the shockwaves. And then I'm seeing it all go in slow motion. Immediately, my brain is in midbrain thinking. I'm in fight or flight. Um, first thing I do, I pee myself. Because I have that mom bladder. Um, so I pee myself. And then I f- um, get behind a car. And I'm remembering the words from Saldana. Just stay moving. And so I'm like, all right, let's prioritize here. I remember also words from RBT instructors that the the engine block of a car can help be a shield of bullets as well as tires. They said tires can absorb a, a bullet or two. So I'm like, let me calibrate here and let me think of my next move. So I have my gun out. And also my hand's not working very well. I can make a grip, but it's like going like uh, this weird nerve thing. And then I feel hot red. And I noticed a feeling, a sensation before of like, basically if a rubber band had hit you and then it feeling super hot, but I wasn't thinking about it. And I looked down, I realized that I'm hit. And then I'm like, I stopped peeing a minute ago and I, my boot is full of liquid and I'm like, I've been hit. But I was like, this doesn't even feel anywhere close to the pain of giving birth. So I'll be fine. Um, I'm like, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. So I get up into the front of the car. I, I, I'm at this point, so the, the, the front of the car would be facing where Micah Johnson was shooting and at the intersection. I was like, let me see if I can get a quick peek and see where the, the suspect is. I'm like, I can still do something. I'm not dead. And this doesn't even hurt as bad as I thought it would, you know? Because my at this point, it's just shrapnel and then a quick little through and through bounce, you know? So it's, it's not debilitating. Um, I look in through the windshield and I see there's three officers that are past, they're down. And it was very jarring to see police officers laying down because even though I'd been a cop, you know, and we've been doing training and stuff like that, they don't lay down. They're always trying to stand up straight. They're having to have their, their uniform look good. If you see them in a restaurant or you see them passing by, it was so jarring to see them just laying on the ground on the street. And then I told my brain, just remember your training, pretend all of this is training, just pretend it's training. Okay. You can, we can be okay. We're still alive. We're still alive right now. They haven't, they haven't killed us yet. So I get out because then all of a sudden the, the windshield is getting shot up. So I duck down until it stops. And then I open the door. I come around the back and I'm remembering Saldana's words to always stay moving. And I see there's a big concrete, bar- there's that big concrete like parking garage. It was directly to the left of me. And then El Centro would be directly across from it. And I don't know my directionals when it comes to downtown never worked downtown like that. So I hide behind this, I hide behind um, a big concrete barrier and I see, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, nobody's going to come for us. Nobody's going to come save us. This is all, we're in this alone. DFR is not going to come in in a hot scene like this. And you know what I was seeing right as I was thinking that? DFR rolling in with their, and they're trying to use their big truck as a, as a blockade. And then I see, um, He's, I think he's a lieutenant now. At the time, he was a sergeant in motors. And I don't remember his last name all of a sudden. 
he comes in on his bike and just does a power slide and uses that as a shield. Mm-hmm. Comes running over by us. There's a woman laying on the ground. Wit. Yes. Wit. Yes. 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 Okay. There you go. Thank you, Richard Witt's story yeah. in the academy. He said to stay in it. So he said when he got shot, he said, shoot that motherfucker. <laughs> and that like reignited his fight to keep staying in the fight. So I was like, okay, find something else to put your energy on. So like, ma'am, get up, get up. And she's like, I can't have been hit. And so that sergeant who rolled in on the bike, he grabbed a tourniquet, just threw it on, just acted like that. I'm like, okay, see, there's something, everybody can be doing something. Mm -hmm. There's a job for everybody. Just look for what you can be helping with. At this point, the shooting had subsided, but gone in a different direction. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, this is our chance. And I remembered Saldani telling me, listen, don't go in to go rescue the wounded. He's like, because they're waiting for you to do that. And I'm hearing these words in my head, but I said, fuck it, we can still do something. And a lot of us start running over to the downed officers. Me and two others, three others. These people are coming out of nowhere. Police cars are coming in. Like, they are coming into the melee. And one car pops up right next to Kroll. And I go run over there, and I'm like, I can help. I I have one arm that's good. So me and a few other officers, we load... Um, Michael Crow into the car and nobody's in the driver's seat and I said but I can drive with one arm and I just kept thinking about the things that I can do so Clark Stuller jumps in the back seat of the squad car and he starts immediately administering CPR and he said take us to Parkland and I said well how do I get there and he's like how long have you been on I'm like three weeks he said Jesus fucking Christ and just all while administering CPR he's like go right and so I go right and I just drove as fast as I possibly could and we went over curbs we know over lawns we went over bridges you know we we went the wrong way in a street he told me to go right we're going right he told me it's like it's that way I'm like cool we can do this so I looked down at the speedometer we're going 120 miles an hour and we're passing people with lights and sirens and I'm like, remember, just like Wit said, throw your energy into something else. Stay in the fight. Um, I don't know, like, the extent of everything. I didn't get to look at it, um, except for my arm. And I was like, come on, Kroll, stay in this. Stay in this, okay? And I'm yelling at him in the backseat, just stay in it. You're very loved, man. You got a lot of people loving you, and they don't want you to go, man. And I'm yelling these things at him, just doing good Clark I'm like where I don't know his name is Clark I'm like hey man you're doing really good just so you know and he's like keep driving and I'm like okay and then he's like get off right now and so we get off um of 35 um into medical city you know the medical district Mm. and he tells me how to get up so we just I just drive through the parking lot still going you know as fast as I possibly can we went over gardens and shit and we pull up to the front door of the emergency room and And everybody's still not really sure what had happened, right? Nobody knows yet. So nurses are just kind of standing there idly and, you know, enjoying probably getting ready for their shift. And we pull in and the car just falls apart. Like, it's just like it, we had, I was joking that we had chubby angels all around the car just holding it together (laughs) with like hugging. And then once we got there, like just, it was like a cartoon. It just came off. The rims were falling off and Mm. just, it was smoking. Not that unusual for our squad cars to do that, but badly smoking and Clark Stoller starts banging on the hood of the car and he says we got a downed officer over here everybody help these nurses came out of nowhere they were ready to go they jumped into action immediately rolled out a, rolled out a trolley we all load um we all loaded Kroll onto there and this little nurse I mean she could have been more than like 5'1 mm. she is straddling him doing CPR for everything she has in her it's just she if if 
her efforts were the things that saved people, he would have lived 10 years. She was doing everything she could. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I might get fired now. I just left my trainer down there. And I'm like, fuck, I need to go back. So I try to get in the car and the car is not starting. And Clark is like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I need, we need to go back. He's like, no, you need to go get looked at. And I was like, no, I'm going to get fired. I left my trainer down there. He's like, don't worry about who's your trainer. I'm like, Saldani. He's like, he's fine. Don't worry about him. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I know he's a badass, but I'm going to get fired. I'm like, I'm worried about my job. And he's like, no. And um, two security guards put me in a wheelchair. And they, then he started wheeling me. He's like, you need to stop being so fucking stubborn. And he was, I'm really thankful for him because he made sure like I got help. Because yeah. I was still in that midbrain thinking, first of all. I'm not in frontal lobe brain. I'm not thinking I should get medical attention. I'm thinking fear-based stuff, and it's everything probably from my childhood of, dude, you're going to hell, man. It's buckle up, first-class ticket, you know? And mm-hmm. then I'm thinking, too, just from the academy, there's, you know, there's some conditioning going on there, too. They're like, you don't leave your fucking trainer yeah. behind. You keep him alive. Mm-hmm. They, You might have to save your trainer, so you'd be ready for the fight. Um, we all ran him in, and, oh, I should also add, too, I was going to, we ran him in to the room, to operating room, and no, I didn't see he had anybody there yet, so I was going to stay with him, and they're like, no, 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 we're going to do an operation, you need to leave, and they're like, oh, you need to get help, and that's that's when yeah. I was like, no, I need to go back, because I was like, well, if I'm not going to stay here watching him, then I need to go back, so I placed some of that out of order, but, um, and that's when, you know, Clark did something that I'll be thankful for for the rest of my days, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that, one, I got help, and then two, that I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to be this perfect person in that I was still human. Mm-hmm. And I You're need, an injured human. I was an injured human on top of everything. Um, so he, you know, made me stay there. Um, and he kept telling me, he's like, you did a fucking good job, man. He's like, I, you're getting a five, you're getting a seven tonight on your DOR. <laughs> like, how about a 10? He's like, a seven, be humble. <laughs> and we're still yelling at each other just because of how loud it is. I'm like, I have to call my husband. Um, so a fun thing about Tomas, he was watching the news and he knew something was going to happen. He could just feel it. So he's doing laundry and this whole time he's watching the protest, he's packing up a bag just in case. He's packing up a bag for the baby and a bag for us just in case. Um, then I'm calling him and I can't talk. I, I'm screaming. I can't hear him. And because I'm still having that auditory exclusion thing. And then also my ears are just ringing like crazy. So Clark takes the phone. He's like, hey, your wife has been shot. We're at Parkland Hospital. And he gives him the address. Tomas jumps in the car with the baby. I think probably went 120 miles an hour, too, and came to Parkland. He was he was there, he said, in 22 minutes or something. Um, and then he called his aunt to come get the baby. But only after I saw her, because he knew that that would be really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. So he got there as quick. And they actually sent an officer there to go pick him up. But he was gone already. Mm. So we, you know, we were sitting there and, and getting x-rays done. They're telling me it's just shrapnel in the arm. It's going to be okay. And that the bullet isn't even in the leg anymore. It, it went through. It took a piece of my shin. But they're like, you don't need it. It's okay. That's where you gone. were filling. Your boot was filling with blood. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not, not the pee. It was blood. It was, not, it was both. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, a little urine mixed with the blood, mm-hmm. you know. So little foot facial there for me, I guess. Um, and we're, we're, we're at the arm. It was just right here in the right arm. In the forearm. The... Yeah, right. You can see it kind yeah, yeah. of still. Okay. Then there was like more to it, but this is what it's healed up to. And um, that, and it, it, at this point, like my adrenaline was still 
going. They said there's a piece of shrapnel still in there and that eventually it's just going to come out. Um, they said surgery would actually be more harmful. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, okay. And um, sitting there and I'm the whole time I'm like, I don't want them to bill me and send me this big bill and maybe that'll be like the breaking point where Tommy's like, you can't go back. I don't want you to go back to be an officer anymore. So I'm giving them my insurance and they're so confused. <laughs> and they're like, what are You're you doing? You're at work right now. They're like, this is the not- workman's comp's gonna pay for this. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. I have rights or I have like, you know, there's there's other systems that exist. There's, you know, you can't get injured at work and you pay for it. Especially not like this. Especially not like this. But I thought like, they're gonna send me this huge bill. Mm. And I'm going to have to go through them ruining my credit. So I was like, which also does sometimes happen with workman's comp, but I didn't know any of that. So I was like, well, what's workman's comp? And he's like, don't worry, just they'll take care of it. Just sit still for a minute. I'm like, I need to go back out there. And, and I kept going in this OODA loop of I need to go back out there. Um, but once I saw Tomas and the baby, I started to actually just be a little bit more calm then at that point. Um, and then... Tomas had his aunt come by and get the baby. And then they're like, after several hours, some more CAT scans, some cleaning, and then an x-ray or two, getting some pain pills. It started hurting then. It felt like somebody took a baseball bat to my arm and leg. Um, they were like, okay, yeah, you, can, you guys can go home. You don't have to stay here. And I don't think we need to admit you. I think you're going to be okay. I'm like, okay. So... I'm feeling okay at this point, but then we go out into the parking lot and my adrenaline shoots up so bad that it hurts. Um, it was the, one of the most scariest things to ever do is walk across that parking lot. I felt so exposed and in my brain, I'm feeling like there was like a sniper from an elevated position, right? Cause that's what we, initially that's what I thought. Um, I was already told that, you know, that, that he was already killed at this point by the robot Um, and it's, and that I'm, you know, it's over now at this point for the most part. Tomas actually walked in in Zamoripa's room unmistakably thinking it was mine. And so he, he and I are just both exhausted and he had to stop and get gas. And I was like, please don't stop. Please don't stop. Let's just go home. And he's like, I'm on E. And that was the most nerve wracking thing ever was just to be, in this car at a gas station where there's the highway up here. It was 30, 75 was over here to the left. Driving home was scary. I was just, it was the weirdest sensation. It felt like, you know, when a kid comes up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water from, or need something from you and they're just standing behind you hmm. and you wake up, you're like, something's right behind me. That's what it felt like to be even just alive hmm. right now. It felt like something was behind me. I was, um, on a heightened sense of alertness that was exhausting, but I couldn't sleep because I would fall asleep and I would have dreams. Um, What were the the dreams? Well, I'll I'll get into that in a Mm -hmm. second. Um, So we get home and I had to search the house first. I was like, just stay in the car. And Tomas is a Mexican man. He's like, this bitch, he's not gonna tell me stay in the car. Like I'm gonna protect her. But then there was just no convincing me otherwise. So he stayed in the car, stayed outside. and then we we're in the house. I've searched it already, and I just cannot sit down. I can't lay down. It's too scary to sit or to lay down. Anything feeling vulnerable. And he's like, how about we just pray? And so we did. And then he's like, do you want to maybe take a shower? 
and I'm covered at this point and also vomit because I threw up too once I sat down. Um, so I'm taking a shower and my phone's just blowing up and I get out and try to lay down again and I can't. Eventually I did, I eventually did kind of fall asleep, but then I'm having these dreams of everything happening again and I'm yelling and it's, it would always start the same way. Be like, sir, get down. And I'd push Tomas off the bed and just start trying to search the house. Mm -hmm. I would start thinking, it was just this weird melding of the two worlds of my dream world and the real world. I was consciously aware that I'm walking through my house. I'm consciously aware that I was in bed. So I think like I'm laying in bed and the dream's happening, Mm -hmm. which was even very, that was very, very jarring. So the next day, I try to drink coffee. I can't even drink coffee. I, I throw up. I can't keep anything down. And I'm like, how am I going to be a mother right now to a 10-month-old? How am I going to do anything? Mm-hmm. I was like, I think I need to go back to work. Um, and, I, and I was thinking that mainly because I was like, okay, this is something I can exist in like this at work, right? Mm-hmm. I can be hyper aware, which could also have its own ditch in its road. But I was like, I can be hyper aware and be successful. This will be okay. And so I'm thinking I'm going to go back to work. Um, I was very thankful. Um, Chief Castro, now Major Castro at the time, he was like, no, you are not going back to work. You are ordered to not go back to work. But I did that too because I grew up on a farm. And when you get bucked off a horse, you get back on. And I did not want to be afraid of going back to work. Never mind the fact that I can't even use a shower without searching the restroom first. But let me get back on this horse type of thing. And it was just a blur the next two days. I still hadn't eaten anything. Sleeping was just damn near impossible. I'm waking up every few hours, waking up the whole house. And I'm having this realization that I probably shouldn't even have a gun and my baby in the same house. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that hit me. This is day two at this point. I was like, I am not going to be a shitty mom. And I just dug really deep. I'm like, I need to do something. So I call up um, the ATO. And I was like, I need to speak to a psychiatrist. Because I remember from Cheers, Diane Chambers went up to, like, that seemed to be kind of that same realm, right? I never looked into getting too much help except for with Tomas. And I'm like, I think he talked to a psychiatrist first. And and Tomas is like, well, it's called the DPA, the, you know, with the, the, the assist the officer. He's like, they have that. And then also the Child Advocacy Center, they reached out to me already and were telling me, hey, we have some therapists that you can talk to. And their mm-hmm. trauma, you know, this is their thing. Mm-hmm. And... So I was like, well, okay. So I call her up. I get this phone number. I'm like, I need to talk to a psychiatrist. And she's like, you already want to start medication? I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know the difference between psychologist or a psychiatrist. Right. Um, again, shout out to homeschool, you know, for that wonderful education. But she's like, well, how about this? Let's just start with a, a meeting. And I'm like, she's like, what are your symptoms? I'm like, I cannot sleep. I cannot eat. If I try, throw up. I am a psycho woman. Um... I don't even want to watch The Office. And as any elder millennial, that's like our comfort show. But mm-hmm. that even felt too too stressful. Mm-hmm. A show felt stressful. Everything felt stressful. I think I watched The Emperor's New Groove on repeat. Mm-hmm. Just because I just needed to watch something. I had to have something in the background. And my dog would not get up and leave me alone. She stayed with me the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I'm having my 10-month-old with my cousin's girlfriend, Erica, she kept her for me and just kept sending me pictures that she's having fun. She's okay. And I went to my first therapy meeting and I learned about something called self-kindness. At this point, it's starting to sink in everything that happened and I'm having survivor's guilt. Hmm. 
I'm like, why did I get to make it? And why didn't they? And I saw Zamaripa had a baby not much older than mine. I was like, why didn't he get to go home to her? And why did I get to? All these thoughts of then to not make things better. I know our friends and officers, they, this did not come from a place of like they wanted to fuck with somebody mentally. It comes from our hypercriticism for ourselves because we know we cannot make mistakes sometimes because death hangs in the balance. But I was receiving text messages from officers that night, as soon as that night, asking why I didn't shoot him. Oh, wow. Nobody asking me how I'm doing. They're wanting already to start kicking me, saying, why didn't you do this? Hmm. And then they caveat it with, oh, well, I hope you're doing okay. Reach out if you need anything. Um, I also learned something really important. If somebody you know is going through crisis, don't say reach out if you need anything because we don't. Nobody is going to want to. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to. Right. Um, instead, Blaine Burgess, she showed up with some Chick-fil-A, you know, two days later. It's like, can I bring you guys breakfast? Mm-hmm. She wanted to do my laundry. And I'm like, no, it's okay. And just stuff like that. She just showed up and did that. And that was such a kind thing to do. Mm-hmm. Then my one classmate, Sandy Martinez, he brought his wife over and brought their baby, you know, a few weeks later and just... He didn't ask if we needed anything. He just showed up and said, can we clean your house? Mm. And just those are things you can do. Like, hey, can I walk your dog? Um, you know, can I pick up the kids? Take them, you know, is there any food you guys like that? Little things that they were asking. And remember those two specifically. Like the, what they did was just the kindest thing ever. Mm. But anyways, back to therapy. I learned this thing called self-kindness. Um, never heard that term before. I always kind of thought maybe loving yourself was kind of a big thing starting to come out. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it, it, it that bred sociopaths, right? I'm like, that's going to be people who don't care what they do and their effects to other people if they love themselves. But obviously the concept of that is to be kind to yourself. And I realized the first tangible step to that is to look at yourself the way she's like, your parents look at you. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. And she's like, well, how do you look at Mia? And I'm like, wow. She's like, how would you want Mia to act if she went through what you went through? And I just, it was like my first breakthrough. I never had a moment like this. And I started crying. And I was like, that's what self-kindness is. I need to look at her with like good eyes, like my mom eyes. Mm. And she said, and that's how God sees you. And so it was just kind of this full circle moment. And that was my thir- first therapy session, and I was, and I just walked out. I didn't feel like weight was gone. Okay, there was no microwave thing here of just switching shit off. But I was like, I think I want to go to Wayne's Stop, and that's kind of the upward trajectory started to happen. That cloud was still there. You woke up and you're like, why aren't I sad? Why I'm supposed to be sad about something? Oh, oh yeah, I forgot. Oh my word, you know, because you're just still like disoriented from sleep. And then sleep, of course, was a really weird thing during those times because it was hit or miss. It was stressful. I didn't feel rested after sleep. I only slept probably because exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Did you end up going to any of the funerals? Yeah, I went to... So the the thing I will feel bad about is I didn't go to um, Thompson's funeral. Mm. And what I heard about later was just beyond heroic what he did. And that answered that question of why I got to go home. It was because of him and what he did. And I, I, don't, I can't explain for just the sheer amount of gratitude I have if it wasn't for him mm-hmm. that he died and his actions of injuring Micah Johnson, just, you know, and baiting him away from us, that was 
that was sacrifice, you know? And that was, I think, that I think like, that was seeing some pure human spirit right there or seeing God mm-hmm. in your fellow man right there. You're speaking of uh, Dart Officer Thompson. He mm-hmm. uh, he drew fire. Brent Johnson. Yeah, yep. Brent Thompson. Brent, Brent, I called him Brent, Mike Thompson. Brent Thompson. Yeah, and he drew fire uh, from where y'all were at that intersection. And he ultimately, he, he lost his life. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the wounded suspect entered El Centro. Mm-hmm. Right? And he went through the back area. So basically at this point now, he's he's a block away from us yeah. where he... So he's no longer shooting at us, and we can sw- we can go in and try and save our coworkers. Because he he ambu- he was ambushing y'all in that intersection, and he was he was approaching y'all, and yeah. then yep. then when Brent came in mm-hmm. behind him and uh, and drew his fire, and then he came back, and he yep. went and circled around that pillar. Yep, yep. yep. So Sergeant Figueroa, um, he said in, a, in in one of our episodes, he basically Brent saved say he Brent he, Fig said that Brent saved his life that night but by his actions and he saved a lot of lives he saved a lot of lives yeah yep did you so i was at the hospital at parkland with you um i was only in homicide for 10 11 months at that time so i was still pretty rookie too and so did you know like how bad it was like when did you find out how serious it was i found out much later i don't know if you knew like in terms of how many fatalities how many injuries that kind of thing so understanding like quantity of things mm-hmm. at that time was such a bizarre thing because everything felt so out of whack mm-hmm. an example was like three days later i went back to the intersection because you get back on the horse so i'm like let me go back to this intersection and see it and it seemed smaller mm. it didn't it seemed bigger in my head yeah so it went through these like it was like an accordion it went from being really big and feeling like this lasted hours and hours to finding out it only lasted initially for the the gunfire exchanges about 20 minutes right yeah i think so i mean it was the different sections and i don't, I don't work in siu so i wasn't involved in the full investigation i went to parkland to i was told just not to interject but i was told that we had an officer who had shrapnel to the hand and another officer who had you know shot but it's fine that's what we were told when i went to parkland i was not told of any fatalities i wasn't told how extensive it was so we got there and an officer told me that there were five down mm-hmm. and so like we were just like holy shit and there was like 10 people total injured and so we went around and we're looking at Zimaripa and looking at Kroll and all the things and we interviewed the people who were shot so I interviewed Saldana and I interviewed yourself and I remember Steve David was with me he's retired homicide he's OG 37 years on DPD you know and um, Steve is always so optimistic and upbeat and after we interviewed you I remember saying like holy shit like you were so calm and so just like, and I don't know if that was probably the shock or, you know, a lot of different things, but I could not believe that you had been on three weeks. I found out later that you were like super rookie and I was like, holy shit. Like, and then I also know um, Clark Stoller, who's in the back with you. And Clark is an intense personality, as I'm sure he would say himself. But Clark just spoke such high. He was like, I didn't really know who that rookie was, but damn, I said go and she went and he was just so impressed that, and that's where I think the training and all of like, we're in this together is if you have each other's back and you know, you may not know that person, you may not know downtown well, but like, we're going to get, we're going to get this right. We're going to get safe. We're going to take care of our, each other. And that's where I think this amazing brotherhood, you know, really shines in moments like that. I think it does too. And, and, and I was, and, and it is that trust, you know, like, I summed it up. My trainer summed it up later once. He's like, when you hear there's a signal 15, he's like, just start driving. Yeah. 
And I'm like, that's terrible advice, right? Like, wait until you get the facts. And he's like, sometimes, though, he's like, you have to start moving because Mm action is going to beat reaction every time. And he's like, also, sometimes you start getting an instinct about where people are and who that voice is on the radio. And you're going to know kind of where they are. And that... And that was something he said later, and I realized that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I had already learned and trained. It didn't matter if you guys just had a screaming argument. When you guys are searching a building, you're trusting him to say, clear, coming out. You are knowing that person's coming out and to be, you know, pointing your muzzle away from him or to pick up work when you're searching, you know, another building or to help them in a fight. It's like, it doesn't matter what you think of that person. You have to be there for that other officer. That's what you're trained to do. So... Was it, so you mentioned that the officers who were texting you, like, why didn't you? And I mm-hmm. never thought about that side of the thing. And I think a lot of it's probably because everyone knew somebody, it seems like. Maybe not well, but in an apartment this big with that many fatalities, we all knew or worked with one of those people at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And so from my perspective as an investigating side of things, right? Not like being in, like, you guys were totally, like, you guys were the warriors in this moment. You guys were the ones who who went through hell together. And on the outside of it, trying to, I was kind of like you. I was like, do my part. Because I wasn't down there. I didn't do anything. But I was like, I'm trying to find the body camera that's missing. I'm going to go to the squad car. So I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to, like, get the motorcade. I was calling traffic, trying to get the motorcade together to go to the Emmy's office. That Mm -hmm. was my job. I was like, let me do something. But I remember one officer was furious with me. I wouldn't let him in the room mm-hmm. to see Zamaripa because there had already been a lot of people in the room. And at that point, uh, suspect was still alive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you guys, I'm feeling it too. But if this asshole walks because evidence was tampered, right, that's going to be 10 times worse. And so I was having to like get yelled at by this person who just wanted to see them. And mm-hmm. I, I understand like we all want to, you know, but it was hard to be the bad guy in the situation because it was yeah. like, and so I'm guessing... I'm guessing kind of similar like I mean because you went through something was traumatic is an understatement and then to have people you know make you feel worse well the response is out of a a pure emotion absolutely it's not rationale it's emotion yeah yeah I I, honestly if if I was to like look at this too just at that situation they weren't it's it's a bad habit of officers Mm because also we have those difficult conversations like Mm -hmm. if you think about like you work with that person for four hours you're already like discussing why didn't how about it like and if you are in a life or death situation you're already rehashing it and debriefing at some point and you don't get on that level with people just every day yeah so that is part of our culture yeah the police culture we're going to ask those difficult questions and monday morning quarterback stuff because we're like because i don't want to make that mistake yeah so i thought that was i and i knew that's where i was coming from i didn't go to bed feeling like shit from that i already mm-hmm. had enough stuff to really yeah uh, think about so i was like well that's not cool man but okay at least you know it's coming from that emotional state and not like a personal attack yes yeah yes um and then also too just even trying to make sense of it i was still wondering like if i did good or if i did okay or if i did the right thing Mm -hmm. um i was having those moments and and then i that first therapy session and um is where like that just kind of upward trajectory started happening of healing for me um and and Learning also just healing from other things, too. Um, I do notice, like, we we do have, like, that thin blue line, right, of, like, sometimes while we say, you know, we, we're harsh with each other, but we don't really condemn actions that we do or call out each other, too, at the same time. But coming back from my background, though, you know, I, I just was like, I'm never going to be in another cult again. Mm. 
and I was like, I'm not going to take on cult stuff like mm. this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep an independent mind. And also, so that made me kind of judge myself harshly too on things because mm. I was like, um, I'm not going to dive into the narcissistic stuff, right? I'm not going to be like, this is what I did and I was there. I'm going to be like, how could I have grown and improved? Um, so that whole therapy session was good. It, it helped. Um, I did go to a lot of therapy because I was like, this is the part where we get divorced, Tomas. We need to go to all the therapy. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, why are you guys doing this? And then I started going, and one part of my, I think a lot of people maybe go through this too, but after a traumatic event, you start feeling like yourself. You kind of go through like a puberty thing, right? Mm. You're obnoxious for a minute, you, you know, for like, you're obnoxious more than normal. You're spending more or you're um, indulging. Just you're kind of going through this puberty. You're like, I finally am feeling like I'm busting out of this, um, I guess, this cocoon thing, right? Um, so I go to this one therapist and he tells me that I am obnoxious and annoying. And it was like the day when I was finally feeling myself. So I will say, don't feel like you have to go to all the therapy. Don't feel like you need to become a monk of like peace and all that. I just think that looking back, I should have just gone to like one therapy thing and talk with her. And instead I was like, we need to go to marriage counseling because this is what happens. And really our focus wasn't on our marriage then, okay? Our Mm -hmm. focus was on me. I was the one who got hurt. Just like when Tommy had his stuff, it was on him. It was about him. So that was a big thing mm-hmm. that I wish that I'm passing on to other officers. Like, even though, because I think there's a reluctance to go to therapy. I think, too, we're sometimes can be very type A rule followers. We're like, yeah. no, we do all the therapy then. Fine. Yeah. Cool. I'm on my way. We're going to go and we're going to go all the way. In. We're going to go all the way. Yeah. <laughs> so um, good. Mo- so just take that. Anybody listening, take that and, and get your help you need. But I just said, you know, I'm not going to use this to be a shitty person. I am going to be a good mom. Mm-hmm. This isn't my kid's villain origin story. Yeah. Do you I'll give her other ones later, but yeah. Do you think? And I've heard. I mean, obviously, I was never military, and I wasn't anything like this. But I have heard people who go through something this traumatic, like bond together, either in a way where they want to be around each other to talk about it because no one else can understand, other than those that were on the ground, or the opposite, where they're like, "I don't want to talk about it or see you because it reminds me of that moment." Is that something that you had with Saldana or the other officers in Southwest or? Um, I think we, I think we, re- we relied on each other a lot mm-hmm. those few the weeks aftermath. because it became yeah. a circus. It was it really was, yeah. Media was knocking on our doors and not really knowing who to trust. Also, there was people, you know, you, you know, just it, there's that person who's there's people who are seeking the spotlight. Yeah, and ulterior motives were there. So it was, it would have been, it was nice to have someone be like, hey, what's this person and what's this going on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of just unnecessary tension that I wasn't ready for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to have them say, no, you don't have to do that. You're good. So that that was helpful to have them. And then also Saldana is just a mentor. He breathes mentoring. Yeah. So um, came out and saw the shop when I opened it years later. Um, always available for a phone call if I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, good people. So mm-hmm. really good people. He's my long lost uncle. Like we're claiming him for life. He's so. a great dude. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, such a good guy. Yes, and uh, his wife's awesome too. Janice is amazing. Um, she helped me a lot with getting my esthetician side of things going for my beauty shop here. Mm-hmm. She's an esthetician herself and just a natural entrepreneur. So I found a lot of mentoring in her too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gretchen, I want to take you to November 18th, 2019. Uh, you were involved in another... 2018. 2018, I'm sorry. Another crazy-ass incident. 
uh, you by yourself, right? And you're at an apartment complex in downtown Dallas. And let's go from there. So, um, I so I worked that evening um, on November eighteenth, or it, I think it was either seventeenth or the eighteenth of like that night. But it was like midnight when distance to happen, and I had this killer migraine. It was so bad, um, I was throwing up. And I really prided myself on being a good working officer. I did wanted to be consciously aware of not turning into like a one trick pony. Sometimes I feel like. You know, you feel like you do one thing, and, and, and if you do it well, then you don't want to ever step up to the plate again and fear that you might fail. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't want to go get swooped up into a unit. Um, maybe it was like some things were being joked around even. They're like, oh, she's going to go recruiting now after being not even making enough of, um, you know, probation or whatever. And and I was like, no, I'm going to be in patrol. I'm going to be one of I'm gonna, I'm going to stay being working. And also, I just I thought it was very healing to do that too, and and I and enjoyed p- patrol. Patrol is the bomb. Mm-hmm. You will have fun in patrol. It's a variety. Yeah, it's, it's a variety. Every day is different. I mean, I had a great partner too at the time. Um, Who was Jorge, the partner? Uh, Jorge Perez. He's not here shout anymore out. too. Yeah, shout out to him. Um, he's he's I think he's with the feds now. So, mm. you know, we got along good and enjoyed riding with him. So that night, though, I have such a bad headache. I'm I'm. I'm throwing up. And I'm like, I need to go home. So I go home a little, 15 minutes early, you know, and I live right there downtown. And my, I had a rent, I did courtesy officer spot there. And I pull in and I'm like, fuck. I see there's people who are blatantly just checking car doors. So I call 911. It's right at shift change. And I'm just giving a description. And, and the lady's like, stay on with me. And I'm so glad she said that because I did. I kept her on with me the whole time. And I didn't have a body camera or anything. So I'm following. Were you in full uniform? Yeah, I was what in time? uniform. I'm in my Jeep. Um, I'm following the the suspects as they're going down the lower level. And then I see them all jump into a Jetta. And I was like, this is a grandmother's car. They stole it. I'm like, this is a stolen car. So no offense to Jetta owners. It was just like, this was a, this screamed at grandma's car. Like Jettas are badass cars. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But this was a grandma's car. Everything about it screamed it. And so I blocked them in with my Jeep. And I go and I'm going to, get them out and I'm going to have them all sit and wait for deep for um, backup. So I'm keeping her on with me in my pocket so I can keep talking to her. I'm giving her a description. I'm like, pull my gun. I'm like, hey, everybody get out of the car right now. And um, they're like, no, fuck you, bitch. And I'm like, no, Dallas PD. I'm like, get out of the car. So I start backing up. And then I see some people getting out and I see he, the passenger is going to get into the driver's side. And I'm like, I'm going to snatch him and pull him out of the car. So I reach in to snatch him. He throws in reverse, drives over my foot, crashes into my Jeep, and starts immediately crashing into all the cars trying to get away from us. He gets stuck behind it, and I keep giving out the description, telling her what's going on. The 911 operator who's on with a phone with me, like he's crashing into multiple cars right now. And he's he just th- being very careless. He didn't care if he was going to run me over or anybody else. So this continues on. For, you know, a good few more seconds and keeping him at gunpoint. And then I switched, I pulled out a taser and wanted, he, and I put the taser and it scared him. He was more afraid of the taser than the gun. Um, so I kept him at taser point, but I had my gun at the side, which isn't very recommended, but I saw this was getting the desired effect. He was, I remember that sometimes people are more afraid of the taser mm-hmm. than the gun. So he stopped and then all of a sudden the cavalry came in and they, they did a felony traffic stop and 
they let me put the cuffs on him. And then I went to go upstairs to go look for the other two and wanted to get a description out. At this time, a lot of officers don't really know what's going on. They're like, it was like maybe an off-duty or they're like, what's going on? Um, And then... I watched the body camera later when I had to give a statement and I hear this officer's like, I think she was just going home. And I was, I just was going home. So I want, I run upstairs and DFR is waiting for me and they're like, oh, you're the officer who got your foot ran over. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but I have to go help find the other people. Because again, this didn't feel like giving birth. This is fine. Like we can walk. It's going to hurt. But like, hey, they don't have to give me stitches in my, you know, we're having a great yeah. day. <laughs> So go there. Um, we go upstairs and the DFR is like, you need to get in the ambulance and we need to transport to him. Like, no, I'm not giving them the pleasure of sending me in an ambulance. I just had this. I remember it. I drove myself just from July 7th. I'm never going to let them. And in other instances, too, when you've been in a scuffle and or broke some and fractured some bones in my hands with a fight once, I said, no, partners could drive me to the hospital. I don't ever want to give them the satisfaction. I'm like, I'll better be dead if somebody's driving me to the hospital. Also, I heard that sometimes they give you the bill, and I just didn't want to get those bills. So we got to be about our money sometimes. And fiscally conscious. Yes, once in a while, you know. So then they they weren't able to find the other two. I think they stopped and identified somebody and had them listed as a suspect, but never able to identify those other two. Um, But we were able to take the one um, who did run over my foot and as well as damage multiple other vehicles and take multiple different items um and then uh ariel huddleston she drove me to the hospital she showed up on the assist and she's like well let's get you to the doctor though and we went to baylor but on the way to baylor we answered a 15 because like well i can still shoot from the car like worst comes to worse <laughs> staying in the fight yes yeah, so you have to stay in the fight you have to find something else to look at other than you in those moments and and that's where you can draw your strength from and it's and it translates to lots of other things because we you know pull inspiration from other people mm-hmm. you can do that too when you're in crisis so go there and my poor tomas he had been working all day and was going to be working all day the next day we had already started our business i don't know if he's with the babies because he's gonna drop the babies off but he would he'd been working all day with our new business of building homes and was exhausted and then he came out there still like concrete stuck to his arm and everything and just stayed out there with me and, and drove me home afterwards and very unfazed never like oh, otra vez you know or anything like that just you okay he's like you gotta stop doing this though <laughs> and um he's but then he we were driving home and i'm like are you mad that i keep getting this that i keep i'm like and at this point too i'm kind of embarrassed by how much i'm getting I'm like, I hope they don't think I'm like a Humpty Dumpty that, you know, I fall off the wall and then I break it to pieces. Like I keep getting injured. And he's like, I, I don't think they think that. He's like, no, I know this is what you're meant to do. I know this is what you're good at. He's like, so I can never ask you to change this. And I remember after July 7th too, we're talking about, you know, I'd like to go back to work. And he's like, I'm never going to ask you to quit something you love doing. He's like, I know you want to do it. He's like, but if you ever want to quit, he's like, you know, you I'll take care of it. I'll take care of everything, you know, and if you want to go find something else, you're always welcome to do that. So that that was kind of one other incident that made, you know, a lot of me getting injured, staying in a fight, and then also um, having some psychological dealings with that too, because that was my home. It was, was kind of a different, mm-hmm. it, that was, it felt very violating um, to have somebody break into something in my home mm-hmm. and 
even though it was like an apartment complex, that was home. Home was safe. It was and supposed to be. It was supposed home to be. supposed to be off balance from like what we deal with every day. Yes. Like you leave the work at work and you go home to your safe space and, and it just crosses both worlds right there. Definitely. You summed it up. Exactly. That's safe space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so hard to sleep those next few days. Mm-hmm. And once again, my dog, my pit bull, Mocha, um, she's, she, we named the home building business after her. It's Casa Monita Homes, but we call her Mona. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a play on words for, you know, beautiful home. Um, she wouldn't even get up to eat once again. She was, I think she was kind of getting used to, you know, this being her uh, life now mm-hmm. at the time. But she laid with me on the bed and I couldn't even watch The Office again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was watching Hatari, like the old John Wayne movie where he's just something in Africa, just something far away from Dallas, Texas right now. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching. So I found like some comfort shows to be like Casablanca, Hatari, um, the Quiet Man, you know, older mm-hmm. John Wayne, black and white or Ingrid Bergman films. I think just because the acting's great, but sometimes special effects aren't great. So it's always a reminder of this is just fake. This mm-hmm. is pretend. And so I appreciated those just like Disney movies for July 7th. Um, you got to kind of find what you can focus on and find peace in. There's a way to disconnect from the yeah. real world. Distract right? your brain for a little bit. Yes. Just to like let it heal itself, really. Definitely. Um, and then, so after this, I went and found out that, so after this kind of was a big pivotal moment too, just for healing and and dealing with things. Um, I went to see my parents and I saw them not being bad people. I saw them just being Craig and Diane, really nice Wisconsin people. And I went through a very dark depression phase for a few days because I was like, well, in my mind, uh, in my mind, if I... If they're good people, then did I deserve what happened to me? Mm. I don't know why my brain spiraled that way, but it did. So I went in, and for the first time, after multiple, you know, at this point it had been two years of therapy, Mm -hmm. I was like, do I need to take medication now? And I was diagnosed with ADD, anxiety, and depression. That was my first time getting medicated. Mm -hmm. Bring them in. Come on in, Mia. And Alessandra. (laughs) These are my daughters. Sweetheart daughters just entered. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Huggies? Okay, we can do huggies. You want to sit down? You want to sit down by me? Okay. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a pivotal moment with your your parents, and you, you said you, for a few days there, you got a deep depression. Yes, it was, it was, it was, I had, maybe I could see things black and white and had peace in that just from, you know, my upbringing of mm-hmm. having that piece in that black and white, very yes or no type of world. And then having to see things in as an adult with adult eyes that it's nuanced and healing's difficult and nuanced. Um, and that they were victims too. And I didn't deserve what happened to me. But what did happen to me was because of some neglect on their part and failure to observe the signs and to intervene when they needed to. But also my brother had cancer, you know, and on the other hand of things, my a lot of things were just going on and that they were terrified of hell in essence, too. So it's hard to see that they were not the villains. Right. And so touch. Yeah. To get our sweet girls just arrived. (laughs) Yep, they're um they're overseeing the podcast. They're, yeah, the managers are here. <laughs> so she's happy. I she's she's having a great time. 
So then I had to, I went in and scheduled an appointment. I was like, I think I may actually have to look into getting medicated. I'm making big steps, but I don't know if this is what's best for all my kids of me just raw dog in life right now. Right. Um, and these things I'm trying to tackle. Because sometimes one thing about therapy is I think sometimes we think that it's going to be this moment of like a therapist saying, oh, I, how do you feel about that? Or, oh, yeah, no, it's whatever you feels right. And it's not like there's that holding up that mirror in your face and you're confronting habits that you're doing and you're confronting tendencies in your brain that are not helpful to your loved ones and that are destructive. And you're confronting those things. You're looking at you. Doing that's very taxing. And then trying to do that and also while raising children and having a career and, and you know, progressing in life in various forms. Um, can I borrow your pen? She's going to love to color. Well, I can't wait to see what you make us. So I found out, too, that I had... So I go in, I sit down, I do the, the testing, the gamut, and then a few weeks later I find out I have ADD. And I was like, really? I feel like I'm kind of a disciplined person. But then I see also, like, other things where I'm not able to think, like, once one thought at a time or I am easily distracted or sometimes I do get into depressive phases. Um, and then sometimes I, I can't stay on task and it started to kind of come to light. And there was things like that Tomas and I would be discreet about or frustrated with me because I'd forget important appointments. Then also, as I could see, I could really pull things out of, you know, with midair and, and do them good. So it was nice to kind of realize um, I do have talent but it was good to understand too how to tap into it better and not just on adrenaline and not just in like a procrastinating dopamine rush type of thing of like okay now I need to get this project done Mm. Um, and then she told me too that I have anxiety and depression and I thought those are two separate things but in fact they go hand in hand and getting and and so being medicated um, for depression anxiety and ADD has made me have like a lot less like I guess just spats with Tommy where we're not like, oh, you forgot to do this again or this was a really important date and you forgot this and those types of things. And then also they made me remove my emotions kind of from something that when I'm dealing with a problem sometimes, not like in a zombie form, but just sometimes I'm able to look at things a little bit more um, without bias. And I feel like because it turns off those receptors in my brain that are saying fight or flight Mm -hmm. or Gretchen, you're going to go to hell. Or Gretchen, you're not safe here. Or Gretchen, there's a sniper on the roof. It's turning off those receptors and saying, you're safe. Now listen to what, you know, my, sometimes I have really good friends and we have very difficult conversations. Like, shout out to Elena, my one really good friend. She, we started the business together. We've had difficult conversations where I'm doing things that were sabotaging the business because of my habits. Mm. And it was helpful to hear what she was saying and know that's not because she hates me. It's because we really respect each other. We had to have that difficult conversation. Mm. And I had to listen to it. And I had to change. Those. So for me, being medicated was a big pivotal moment for multiple things in my life. But also forgiving my parents. And having letting them and inviting them to kind of work on their relationship with me. Because it was a two-way street. Mm. But I didn't want them to do all of it. I didn't want, And I didn't want them to like crucify themselves either. Like I kind of feel like sometimes when we are so hurt by somebody we don't even know where to start so i found kind of it was nice to be not on attack mode and just have a conversation with my dad and talk about the brewers or the packers or something you know Mm -hmm. so that was that was helpful so after this happens you decided you were going to start a business you mentioned having a business uh, a business partner what point did you decide that you were going to 
leave the Dallas Police Department and how hard of a decision was that for you? Well, so short answer, you know, I mean, it was 2020 and I was pregnant and I got my lashes done for the first time and I felt like, oh, I felt like a bad bitch. I was <laughs> just iconic. Lashes make such a big difference. They, and I, I could just any roll right out of bed. I could just roll out of bed yeah. and be this queen of sex iconess, you know, and that was me. And I was like, this is amazing. I was like, I don't even have to put mascara on now. This is crazy. And now I've like taken to tarantula level, but um, it was it was a moment. And then um, I was already getting you know nails done, and I was like, I was liking the stuff about the beauty industry too. I never saw myself as being anything anything more than tomboy, which goes hand in hand with you know law enforcement. But then the, like we just talked about, you can still be feminine and all those things, and be ooh, yeah, she says, yeah. Um, I never. I always saw myself as a tomboy, though. Too mm-hmm. like, I yeah. guess that I didn't know how to curl my hair or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I saw there's so many things in the beauty industry that needed to change. For one, there's no business mentoring. A mm-hmm. lot of women are just thrown into booth rental or commission, mm-hmm. and work twelve hour days, and then also don't have abilities to invest, or they don't know how to invest, mm-hmm. um, or there's no benefits. Additionally, I always bring my girls with me pretty much everywhere. And so if I want to get a pedicure, it kind of sucks that they're going to be maybe not having a good time and destroying things. Mm-hmm. Um, big sigh. So I was like, there needs to be built-in childcare in these beauty shops. And so I'm going on this rant of, with my husband about all the things that I'm thinking about. And Tommy's like, just start one then. Mm-hmm. And that was from his mouth to God's ears. I opened it with my friend Elena. Uh, she's, a, she's a nail tech, so she was a little bit more well-versed in TDLR and all that stuff than me. Um, but we opened up our first um, brick and mortar. At mm-hmm. this time, I was already like helping Tommy with his you know, construction business. Mm-hmm. And we started a skid steer side hustle too, land clearing. So I was like, it's time to do my own. We opened it together in July of 2021. Mm-hmm. And it took off. And it took off a lot faster. I was assuming that it was going to be three to five years just like any other business before you know, things started growing or that we'd see income from it. And but where is it located? It's located in Rice. It's in called Rice. Okay. the Dolce Beauty Bar. Nice. It's named after our dog. Um, we name all our businesses after our dogs. Even though Dolce is no longer with us, um, we, it, she was just a dog, though, that she was rescued and a little bit of a shower gave her a whole new personality. Mm. So I was like, I think it's fitting. Mm. So we did Dolce Beauty Bar, had childcare included for both staff and for the patrons. And then um, we do lots of business mentoring. We do investing mentoring. We have people come in from brokerages, like Kathy Tamas has come in and explained Mm. how to open up a Roth Mm -hmm. and the the benefits of it or how to have just a small portfolio and where to start. And for women who that sometimes don't even really like file their taxes kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, like they don't know that that's proof of income. They've always had to have somebody like co-sign them. This Mm -hmm. is very liberating. Um, And then we do um, free... Uh, I just have a running balance with my therapist because I don't really know where else where else to start, mm-hmm. and I know I can trust her. She she's also open for services for my for our staff, and we just have a running balance. She just takes it from there, mm. should they call. And then also, I I like to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Traveling is something that does good for me. So I have a small balance too that every month, if we hit our revenue quota, I put um, fifty dollars towards each stylist for vacation mm. so because i'm if i'm gonna go on vacations a lot i'm not gonna be guilted in the same but i'm gonna take them with me just yeah. a different time you love vacation i love vacation too i love to travel yeah i don't like camping mm. <laughs> i i might not be 
giving it all that I can and I may be losing on everything if if I continue with law enforcement right now. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of liability in it. So also, um, running a business is 27 hours a day, mm-hmm. and 10 days a week. And that required a lot too. And I was like, I'm not even seeing my, my kids and this is what I live for. So it was, it felt like putting an old dog down, having to consider leaving DPD. It mm-hmm. felt like I was kind of failing in a weird way of like, I worked so hard as a female and as a person just to get here and then to walk away. I'm like, I know that there's probably people in my old circle are like, oh good, I knew she couldn't hack her. I knew she'd only be for a few years and then she'd, she'd quit. Um, and then of course that word quitting, it's mm. just a hard word. Um, but then I had to say, fuck those people all the way. Doesn't matter. What matters at this point is if my kids are healthy and if they're happy and if they're having a good life with us. Reevaluating, I guess looking at all my values and my ethics and how I have them in my sphere right now, I was like, I have to leave this job. It hurt. It was hard. I loved it. I loved my friends. I loved the camaraderie. I love the job itself. Going call to call is a blast. And I was in um, Right Care my last year here in Southeast. And Southeast grew on me like an itchy fungus because it was Southwest. Southwest was home. South Central was kind of the new beginning after having Alessandra and just starting fresh. And then Southeast, I was like at first like, I don't know about this place. But then it grew on me like an itchy fungus. I loved all the old heads. I, you know, there's some really, really good officers there. We had so much fun. The, and then just the people of Southeast, the people of Pleasant Grove, the best. They are just amazing. Um, South Dallas people too. Just And then they are resilient there. Um, the crackheads don't even call us when there's like a storm. They're fine. They made a shelter. There's a whole city there. Yeah. They don't need us. Like Versus like Channel 1, they call us if they have a cold. Yeah. No, they're a different breed in in channel three and i love them for it and then i had this really good team too we had julie our social worker and Dwayne, our firefighter and they just became we just became this really fun group and work was fun leaving was very very hard um and i miss it and then also kind of taking a step away from it makes you reprocess a lot of things um i opened up the book i don't i think it's called um it was written by one of the dallas morning news journalists i think um, I know what you're talking about about July 7th. Yeah, and there's standoff. A, the standoff. Yep. Oh yeah. And there's a picture of me in there running mm-hmm. with my gun out to the to, to the car. To pull I remember the seeing that video from the news from all the different montage videos they made. You know, with music. I remember seeing that. So I didn't even know that existed, mm-hmm. and re-seeing that is very jarring because you see from your your point of view, come to terms with it. You you know, but then you see it from a different point of view, and it re. And then you, you forget things and then you remember them. And that was very, very jarring. So sometimes I'm finding myself processing things that I, I thought I was okay with already. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, you know, part of the human experience, you know, mm-hmm. will always be affected by things. And our, our consequences, you know, our actions do have consequences. I, wanna, I, want you to, I want you to talk about your businesses again. Yeah. So what is the name of them again for the listener? Okay, so the first one is Casa Monita Homes mm-hmm. LLC. They're, um, we build uh, custom construction homes for, and we try to do it kind of consciously. Um, I think sometimes there's uh, something to be said about these larger developers who are coming in when we don't have infrastructure in the town because the land's cheap and we just throw up 30, you know, spec homes. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have traffic. We don't even have the sewer for it. You know, just the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And then the taxes shoot up. Mm-hmm. 
I think there's a more consciously way to an ethical, I believe, mm-hmm. to not that they're, you know, unethical, but it is having an effect on other people and on people who've lived there for a long time. So what we try to do is to buy a larger home site. So we'll offer the five acre home or we'll do the 10 acre home and then finance the build for them and then FHA it. Or they can do custom build with their own build, with their own loan. And we build a house for them that way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the value course would always be more. We could definitely maybe even be in a different financial area, you know, I guess level of our life if we did buy that and just did one acre home sites but I just don't think that's ethical and that's just not how we do things and that's not how we believe to do it and I make enough with it just fine we Mm -hmm. do and I just don't think we need to be greedy Mm -hmm. um but I'm extremely motivated in ADD so I have multiple other businesses so we have also skid steer um where we do land clearing but also being mindful of which trees are going to provide good shade and growth and not choking off water supply for area um tomas is a little bit better spoken on this than i am you want to sit closer yeah i see you you weren't able to you want to draw on the table she likes to draw a lot so then our other business is the dolce beauty bar in rice texas it's a we do lashes nails hair um spray tan body contour thank you esthetician services um and then body piercing should somebody try and break in um yeah i'm, I'm gonna book an appointment <laughs> yeah. beautiful um, place where everybody can go so our other so i raise cattle sent and then i, I sell off shares of them too um it's all organic grass-fed they live a really spoiled life and i try not to waste anything about them i really do love those stupid cows too um they're very empathetic creatures they're great moms um they have their own so i got a final question okay all right looking back at your life with all you've the listener is going to hear this too you've lived multiple lives Mm -hmm. different levels and it's so layered right and you've had so many experiences bad great life changing life learning you have your legacy now or these two little girls what do you want to instill in them to put them on the path for greatness like their mom? Well, thank you for that. I think if I was to tell, like, I guess I couldn't summarize because they're both such different people. And I kind of feel like they are perfect in their own way. They're going to give the world what it needs. And then they'll everything they touch is going to turn to gold. So I guess with responding to that question, what I'd like to instill, I think just simply, you know, putting best I can. Um, I think I, I know that they already do this because they're really good girls and they're really wise beyond their years. The universe knew what it was doing, giving them to me. I'm thankful they chose me to be their mom. They're good. They're good. They're good souls. I think I want them to live simple and to live brave and to live kindly. And then you're very brave, very brave to live kindly to other people when you have to, and then also to fight when you have to. Bill me some of those therapist bills because you're probably going to need them when you get older. (laughs) So that's it. (laughs) I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. I'm so glad that you came in finally. I asked you back when started this up and just kind of never happened. And now you're here. You have two beautiful daughters. And I'm glad they joined us. I'm glad the listener listeners get to hear your your career was brief with with dpd but very eventful and you've seen more action and tragedy than firsthand than a lot of people see in 
over two decades worth in this job. You made it out the other end, and now you have a completely new life and a new mission with your family and your businesses. And you're welcome back anytime to sit with us. Well, thank you. Please, this was an absolute honor. And I had, I had a great time with this. And I've been really listening for a long time, too. And, I mean, some of the stories are just, they're very raw, they're very real, and they're, some of them are gut-wrenching. And then, you know, I just, I felt like it was therapeutic and cathartic for me, being able to listen to them. So being on here has been, it's been an absolute pleasure. And just thanks for considering me for having me on here and Tech Device. And thanks for coming in, too helping out with the questions and definitely made oh, it like an easier vibe such too. Such an interesting story and you are I would say definitely a survivor is the word I would use for you. A survivor and like Joe said I'm so glad that you found your happiness and, and your girls and I do think you know even if you leave the department you're always DPD oh, right yeah, and so like yeah. you know you never you never leave that side behind. And yeah I'm looking forward to volunteering with ATO and stuff now too. Now yeah. that I kind of have a little bit more it's we're not just back into the business full-time now we're a little bit more rhythm of things and you've been through it that's yeah. goes a long way i think this was a no. <laughs> <Her> face. <laughs> thank you for your service gretchen till next time folks gretchen rocha 10 hey brother hey sister i'll never give up on you Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder together we'll run up from the bottom yeah we'll rise above hey brother hey sister I'll never give up on you hey missus hey I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun and the moon I'll never give up on you Never give up